0: Uh, good evening, Paul. Good evening, Paul. How are you? I'm very well, and welcome all to part eight of Football Book Corner. We used to call it Book Corner, but it can get a bit misconstrued, can't it, where it's just books? <laughs> but it is Football Books, and the voice you can hear yep. is Andy from myfootballbooks.com, a wonderful website, a wonderful page. And presence on Facebook, Twitter, social media, etc. So, first and foremost, for fans, for people, listeners that haven't heard the podcast before, briefly tell us what myfootballbooks.com
1: is all about, Andy. Right, well, hello, um, good, good evening, everyone, or good morning, whatever time you listen to us. Uh, so, my football books is, well, if you love books, and it's right, it's called Football Book Corner. Um, basically I've um, produced a website which sits very firmly in the category of football um, so if you like football and you like football books then yeah um, the website that's, um, which is basically built um, it's coming up to two years actually Paul now um, when I came up with an idea during COVID-19 um, I've always had a, a great uh, love for football books and reading uh, about the beautiful game and uh, I built a website on the back of some a bit of spare time um, during that the pandemic in the early stages which seems a lifetime ago now uh during the lockdown and um as i suppose as a, a one-stop shop for people to go to if they're looking for book recommendations but also what books are coming out soon or what's recently come out new releases and to basically have it all in there in one place really so uh, and that's where yeah my football books the website came from so and i've Built it over the yeah over those what 24 months now, and put it into various categories of uh, um, like books about the history of the game, uh, about the players, you know biographies, autobiographies, managers, about the various leagues and obviously international football as well. So covering all the the cups and including the World Cup, which is obviously uh, only a few months away now, so four months away. It's going to be a bit odd it being in the autumn and winter time, but there we go
0: the way of the world, I guess. <laughs> well, you know me, I'm all well, over James. The place. I'm I'm random. We have no thread. We have yep. no script. We just sit and talk football books. I've picked 10 football books, and I've got to say, author of the month uh, this week is Paul Whittle, um, and his wonderful book, Before the Premier League. Yep. A history of the football league's last decades. Uh, lovely pictures on the front, and fantastic iconic brown bull so i'm going to be catching up with paul a little bit later in the podcast he is my author of the month i always pick an author of the month and i've picked about 10 books, and i've tried to get a little bit of a thread Uh, to my uh, group of books i'm sure i'm going to go off at a tangent i just do (laughs) want to mention that your bookmarks your mugs and your fantastic newsletter so guys if you haven't already please subscribe to myfootballbooks.com and he does undersell himself he promotes (laughs) so many fantastic football books we have a group as well that i post Uh, various books into that group as well. And Andy has had a magnificent presence on social media for a couple of years now. So well done, sir. What's your first book? I'm going international a, a little bit tonight.
1: Oh, right, okay, mm, yeah. Okay, so excellent. We're going worldwide. Are we traveling the globe? No, I'm going well, to I'll England. Start... <laughs> oh, oh, right, okay. Well, I'll go a bit further afield then. But one of my first books, um, so thank you for mentioning the newsletter as well. So one of the newsletter, I tend to feature the new releases that's coming soon. But also, I, I always include their free recommended reads and I alternate it. Every month, but one of them I recommended is um, behind the curtain. It's a book that's yeah. been out for a number of years. It's written by uh, the great Jonathan Wilson, um, one of the yeah great authors out there. And beneath the curtain, it's about the um, subtitle travels in Eastern uh, European football. Uh, it's a, it's a tremendous read. As every book uh, basically Jonathan uh, Wilson comes out with, um, but it's it's basically. Um, yeah, about football behind the Iron Curtain. Uh, and Jonathan Wilson travelled extensively behind the old Iron Curtain, viewing um, what life is like behind the fall of the you know, the burning wall and through the lens of football. Uh and shows how the beautiful game in the East has been you know opened up to the well, I guess like the free market and how it's changed really. Uh, and it's quite interesting when you read it back as well and you think about what's the current you know, dynamic Sydney. You know what's happening in Russia and Ukraine, etc. And you see how football is, you know, so so popular in that area of the world It has been for a long time. Because uh, it also, you you it also refers to when you think you're your Hungries, uh, the Golden Squad of the early 50s. Uh, and um, again, Jonathan, Jonathan Wilson's wrote a book, wrote a separate book uh, about the names heard long ago, which talks in more depth um, in more depth about that book. Uh, sorry about that team, you know, and uh, it was actually only, um, I think now it was last week, it was the anniversary of the, the Miracle of Bern, um, where obviously they lost out to West Germany in strange circumstances.
0: Very it strange it.
1: circumstances.
0: <laughs> they were robbed. Yeah. I think it's fair to say that yeah. they were robbed. German, the German national Thanks. team uh, had some substance at half-time. They've admitted to that. We don't know what it was. And also, when Puska scored the goal um, that was ruled out for offside, there's no actual record of it because the camera stopped at that moment.
2: And Germany had
0: already got beaten. I know there was a number of changes for the the pool game. Not a game of pool like snooker, but they played it in pools in in those days. And uh, Hungary had beaten Germany 8-3 in an earlier game. And yeah, no, that's it. The German team, um, they, they were, they were quite iconic. Yeah. If I'm absolutely honest, um, yeah. Adidas I think made its, arguably its first appearance in the World Cup finals, uh, their yeah. footwear, and um. Hungary were the golden team, having beaten England in 53 and 54, rather convincingly. You could argue then that Hombed and Wolverhampton Wanderers was the advent of the Champions League as we know it today. And you're absolutely spot on. Jonathan has wrote a fantastic book, The Names Heard Long Ago. There's also another book by David Bailey, The Magical Magyars. I'm a big yes, fan of I'm Hungarian hungry. football. And I did see a post today on Twitter that somebody had posted up that, hung, uh, not Hungary, but Holland were the greatest team not to win the World Cup. And I did mm-hmm. comment and say, well, yeah, okay, arguably in our lifetime, they were. Yeah. There is an yeah. argument that Brazil of 82, another wonderful yeah. book by Stuart Horsfield uh, that talks about Brazil, and also he's got a book out about 1982, which is a, an overspill, isn't it, from all the information yeah. that he collated from that time. But I do think that if we are looking at the greatest team that didn't win the World Cup, I think with everything that we have, all the information that we have, To hand in books and uh, archives from YouTube, etc. Pathé News, probably in those days, because it was a long time ago. I think, unbelievably and undeniably, the Magical Magyars were the greatest team not to win the World Cup. And it does leave me nicely here. There is a nice little link The Neely Men by Aidan Williams. Uh, The allure, the the eternal allure, the greatest teams that failed to win the World Cup. So a great little read there by Aidan. And Jonathan Wilson, I mean, I have listened to him on the radio. I'm not too enamoured with his football philosophy and how he likes to um, line (laughs) England up. I vehemently disagree with that, but he's a fantastic writer. He does the Blizzard, doesn't he? And they have a great presence on social media as well. Uh, Angels with Dirty Faces, um, yeah, about yeah, Argentina, horrendous. he has written some of the most fantastic books uh, that are out there, so guys, check him out, Jonathan Wilson, a man who's probably forgotten more than I will ever know about football, yeah. and a tremendous author, although I don't like his philosophy on football, but there you go, yeah. that's it no, a the- me.
1: He's got a remarkable way of words and, you know, great authors can pull together words and just make it sound, yeah, just, you know, I you know, I could never do a sentence as good as he can do. I could never do a full book as good as he can do a sentence, I mean, so uh, it's just something about his style of writing. He's got a bit of a dry humour about him as well when you read some of his books. So, uh, and in fact, he's got another book lined up. It's the first book he's had for a couple of years, it might be now, but so he's got a book coming out in August, which is... Um, um, called Two Brothers, which is on Jack and Bobby Charlton. So there's been lots of books, as you well know, about the Charlton brothers. But I'll be interested to see what he writes about that. That's coming out in August. So um, yeah, going off a tangent a little bit, when but you when you
0: hear when you hear the word snap. It means that I've actually identified that as one of my picks. Ah, Two brothers, Jonathan Wilson, The Life and Times of Bobby and Jackie (laughs) Cholton. But we had previously mentioned that in a podcast because you were saying probably uh, in part seven or even it might have been part six, and I did say that there was another book about Bobby and and Jack. And uh, you did say there may well be, but there's another one coming out. So uh, yeah. we do look forward to uh, to seeing and, uh, and reading that book or or you will look forward to reading that book. I will probably buy it and just store yeah. it because I'm still on Grandad What Was Football Like in the 70s. Really? I, when you say, and I say, he's a fantastic writer, I have these books. My wife's actually in Bournemouth. She's picking her aunt up. So I've got the run of the house snipper's <laughs> just gone out to work. I've got football books all around the front room here and I haven't read a word of any of them, but I just love football books. What (laughs) have you read since our last podcast? Because it has been uh, some time and this is a nice little podcast to listen to because lots of people will be listening while they're on holiday, sitting around the pool and some waiting to go on holiday. (laughs) Hopefully they will get their planes to their uh, destinations and would want something to read. So this is probably one of our most important podcasts that we've done.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. And, well, keep it in the fever, of the World Cup year. the um, book I've read recently, the, In the Heat of the Midday Sun. And, again, it's another linkage uh, to both the publisher, which is Pitch Publishing again, uh, but also These That's Football Scraggle. Times. Yeah, it is. Stephen Scragg. yeah. So uh, another prolific writer out there. He wrote that book, yeah, in the, in the Heat in the Midday Sun. It's the indelible story of the 1986 uh, World Cup. So, uh, yeah, a great read. Um, it's a tournament. Uh, it, well, it, it, it lives within the memory for a number of reasons, no more so than obviously on the front. You've got Diego Maradona and that unforgettable game in the quarterfinal, which, uh, yeah, was the, both the amazing and the infamous, wasn't it? of the goals he scored. So, uh, probably one of the great goals, or well, iconic goals, wasn't it? That that dribble. Uh, yeah, wow. And then, um, mm. iconic in a different way. Is, uh, is, well, is, oh, yeah, I forgot now, which was his first or second.
0: Uh, Shilton's mistake was his first.
1: His first. <laughs> yes. and, and then was, moments after he cause scored that
0: goal, because everybody was calling him a cheating, what's it? In fact, yeah. I went to a dinner um, when Terry Butcher was <laughs> the talker. That was yeah. speaker. And um, I was fortunate. I go there a lot of times. The uh, Wollaston, the sports bar at Wollaston. Andy Blair's the host. I'll sit down with Andy and have something to eat. Uh, Terry right. was, ho- uh, was the speaker, as I said. So he was there on the table and was talking to him. And trust me, he still hates Diego Maradona for that time. yeah, He yeah. has no time. Enough. He hasn't forgiven uh, Maradona. But when you look at Shilton, Shilton's six foot one, six foot two. (laughs) Diego's about five foot five. How the hell does he beat him in the air? It is quite incredible. But, you know, there you go. And I do remember Diego scored, well, not scoring, but on a similar run. Uh, He went on in 1980 when Argentina come over to Wembley. uh, Almost scored and that would have been a carbon copy of that goal. But, For me, Maradona is the greatest player that I've ever seen in my lifetime. And some of the goals that he scored during that 86 World Cup, I remember one he scored against Belgium, when he he, almost, as he was willing away, kept his balance. He had a tremendous uh, balance, centre of gravity, etc. Either foot, that left foot was sublime, but his right foot weren't bad as well. And uh, Diego, it's unfair to say he won that World Cup on his own. But I think if Maradona didn't play, Argentina didn't win. He was the most instrumental player I've ever seen in a team that's won the World Cup. You could argue Cruyff in 74, but I think that Dutch team and um, Gary Backer has wrote a fantastic book. Uh, The Beautiful Bridesmaids Dressed in Orange. But the Dutch team was a far greater team than uh, than, uh, than Argentina were in '86, in my humble opinion.
1: Yeah, it's probably the difference is like we're referring back to uh, earlier. They were the nearly men, they were yeah. one of the nearly men. So the fact that Argentina went on to win it is probably what makes it slightly different than Diego Moradona mm. in terms of memories, etc. But uh, no, I agree with you in terms of actually, the actual team itself. It's iconic, isn't it? But uh, it's a great read. It does recall uh, excellently the... That Mexico '86 and remind you of things that, that I, I forgot or didn't know really, but there was a devastating uh, earthquake just eight months before they actually kicked off. So it was a miracle that the, the the iconic Stadio Azteca Stadium was, you know, was able to uh, be the venue of uh, Maradona's greatest, and most infamous hours. So uh, yeah, so there's, there's, he, as, as Edward with uh, Stephen some of these books, he always puts an extra thing to it. But then you should think, oh, I didn't know about it. So uh, yeah, and it's that's what gives it you know a more rounded story. But yeah, it's, it's like he says on the back, it's a it's a love letter to the 1986 World Cup. And uh, yeah, of those guys at the Football Times, have got a, a way with words, haven't they? So they really get to the the heart of what makes it the beautiful game.
0: They certainly and, have. Uh, uh, I'm just looking at the inside cover of the Neely Men. Uh, first chapter is about Argentina mm. in 1930, because uh, that was the first World Cup final. Um, yeah. In um, in Uruguay. And yeah. Uh, Austria in 1934 were Neely Men. That was a brilliant team, the wonderbar team of Austria yeah. in 34. And there's a great book uh, that that tells you all about that. Austrian wonder team that the great Jimmy Hogan uh, had a lot yeah. to do with, as he did with Hungary, as he did with Germany, as he did with pretty much every nation in Europe. He taught the Europeans how to play football and was largely ignored by the English FA. And I've looked at an issue today with the FA that my pals up. He's uh, mm. been sacked by Birmingham City, Marcus Bignett is on some charged-up right. charge. And the right. FA are just as useless today as what they've ever been.
1: <laughs> if only <laughs> yeah.
0: somebody with intelligence run the English FA, we would be a hell of a lot better for it. And we'd be in a yeah. hell of a lot better uh, position and possibly we might even be in the Neely Men book because we yeah. never have been. We won it once
1: yeah.
0: on home soil and we ain't been close since.
1: No, absolutely not. Absolutely, I and mean, the only man it kind of links back back to what we're talking about in Hungary because it obviously refers to that in that book as well. So, uh, um, what I was just thinking about you were talking about earlier, obviously that that uh, infamous um, goal that was you think yes. it, the referee was um, oh I forget his name, but he was he was English, wasn't he? So. Uh, it was an English referee?
0: Not sure. It was he about... really hungry? Not yeah, sure. but, um... it wasn't Rouse, was it? That was the referee in that game.
1: No, I'll, I'll have to check it. Yeah. But the name William Ling was it something like that? Not I mean, sure. It, was. it seems to ring the bell, but yeah, I'm pretty sure he's sure. English. But uh, yeah, so anyway, but um, yeah, so, so excellent, but nearly man, yeah.
0: Absolutely yeah, fantastic. Really I'm I'm looking at uh, at the seventies. I'm going to go forward a couple of decades. I'm looking yep. at Scotland in the 70s. The definitive account of Scotland football team, 1970 to 79, by Ronnie McDevitt. A wonderful picture of, uh, of Scotland. Um, Ali McLeod looks like a very young John Robertson. Uh, yeah. Graham Sooners. And again, a very young Kenny Douglas yeah. with the Scotland team, judging by that kit and George Graham and Acer Hartford, Billy Lou. That is a 1974 picture of yeah. uh, of Scotland. What a great team they were. Might even wow, be a little yeah. bit earlier than, might be 72, 73 looking at that kit and not reading the book. Again, i buy the books, but don't read it. But I did say to you there's no one that's written a definitive book on England in the 70s. That is a book that I would love to read. I have got um, a project going on, uh, England's 100 Games of the 70s, and I've
1: well, well, I thought you were going to tell me your project, was you going to write a book about no, it in the I, 70s I, I, then for I, a moment, Paul?
0: I, I struggle, I struggle <laughs> to write a Christmas card, let alone a book. I, I'd, I'd love to. I'm hoping that somebody far more intelligent than me can write the book. Uh, I'd certainly like to help them with it. But um, yeah. I think if you can read a book, and you read lots of books, you could write a book. I buy lots yeah. of books, but I don't read the damn things. <laughs> but I do get <laughs> inspired by it. But I have, as a consequence of doing my project, I started off last year and, and left it on the back burner. But there's a lovely mm. book here, England: The Ramsay Years, and yeah. I have the three books by Leo uh, McKinstry, the Sir Alf, uh, an yeah. outstanding biography, Sunday Times on the front. And, and then the next manager that followed, Sir Alf, Don Revie. the biography by Christopher <laughs> Evans, uh, published yep. by Bloomsbury. And then uh, Ron Greenwood by Mike Miles, a biography of Football's Forgotten Manager. I didn't realise he was... Um, Centre half for Chelsea when they won the league in 1955, wasn't he Ron Greenwood? And on this day, yeah. uh, Bobby Robson yeah. took over, didn't they? I? <laughs> I noticed that you posted it up earlier on your Facebook yeah. page, so that brings us through to pretty much all the England football managers of the 60s through to the um, to the yeah. 90s, because Bobby was the manager going into Italia 90 and I did see that you posted up one night in Turin because the 1990 yes. World Cup after 86 was again a fantastic World Cup. What's your first memory of that World Cup in 1990?
1: The first memory, well it's hard to, to go away from Gaza's tears, isn't it? It's, yeah. uh, that obviously screams out. Um, but I think of Roger Miller. Uh, I always think of for his celebration. It was an iconic kind of celebration, didn't it? In the that jiggle in the, the yeah. corner flag, if you recall it. So uh, if I remember right, it did they be? Uh, it, it might have been the hosts. I no, mean, it was Argentina, wasn't it? I think uh, when Roger Miller mm. um, first did that celebration, I might sorry. be wrong. Someone out there is probably screaming at me that no, it's awesome, another team. Sorry. But. That book in particular, I would mention that One Night in Turin by Pete Davis. Um, the original um, book was called All Played Out. Um, it was re-badged um, as then One Night in Turin because there was a uh, a documentary that came out. Um, but that, that that book, One Night in Turin, or previously called All Played Out, is one of the great books. And certainly, um, it's the inside story of basically of Italian 90, where he meets the players, but also the journalists, hooligans. You know, there was hooligans obviously that time as well. And the fans, it's really brilliant because he had um, full access to the England squad, you know, and the manager, Bobby, Bobby Robson. It's, uh, yeah, it's an absolute, oh, it's a really thrilling uh, inside account of the summer when football, yeah, again, yeah, it was an iconic um, um, uh, World Cup. And I suppose one other thing I was just thinking of is obviously in the back in June, you think of um, Pavarotti. See, and that song, don't you? This is my memory
0: of Italian Ninety, Nettuno yeah. and Luciano yeah. Pavarotti. Yeah. You know, yeah. he made opera sound sexy, cool, and, and 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 down down with the kids, didn't he? You know, yeah. you listen to that as soon as Luciano. Belted out those first notes. You thought, what the oh, hell? And I yeah. think you just captured Italy because that's what Ita- you know the Italians are all about—that passion. And I thought that it was a great World Cup. But you're right, that Gascoigne when um, yeah. he, he was ruled out, had we have got there? And Chris Waddle when he—I think he was aiming at a friend in the crowd, wasn't he? With that yeah. kick. And again, we got. Well, I don't know if he was in the, the crowd.
1: I'm not sure if he was in the crowd or behind the, the actual stand. Uh, I mean, sorry, behind the actual uh, stadium, because it wasn't that far, didn't it? Man, well, anyway. I was being
0: kind. I think uh, he was aiming at Mars. Uh, <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah, just to the left of it. So, no, absolutely. That Ness and Dorma, I, I remember that was the song, um, I'm pretty sure it was on the subtitles of BBC, wasn't it? And I sure saw a clip on Twitter of it recently. Straight away, it takes you back. And I can it's one of those, you can feel the hairs on the back of your neck, isn't it? It's that a wonderful. Wonderful song, isn't it? Yeah, yeah it made and it I'd popular, as you I'd say. I've not
0: heard it before. Uh, no. I'd never heard of Luciano Pavarotti. I'd never heard of oh, Toto Schilacci. And, and no. the Italians yeah. again there. They gave us Paolo Rossi in 1982. Who was Paolo yeah. Rossi? I think he'd just come off the back of a band, hadn't he? For uh, Matt yeah. bipsing, uh did Paolo <laughs> And and then we'd seen Toto Schiavucci. All he looked as though he needed was one of those guitar cases. I think he come from Sicily. <laughs> he looked a right mafiosi type, didn't he? But that's yeah. the Italians. They uh, they always come up with something special. And and again, you know, in my lifetime, I'm a little bit young to remember the 1970 uh, World yeah. Cup finals. Although my first hero was Gordon Banks, I'm guessing it was probably that save, but I would have only been yeah. about four, um,
2: yeah.
0: maybe five. I remember the 1974 World Cup finals very well. 78 in Argentina, extremely well. And then 82, obviously, 86 and 90 as you're growing up. And then 94, yeah. it did come to a head when England didn't qualify um, yeah. did I not like that
1: yeah that documentary that was an iconic one they really did got into Graham Taylor didn't they it was a bit cruel really some Colton, of that Colton, got to Colton the
0: where's Colton yeah but that's
1: yeah. What the, press do,
0: the press do yeah. go overboard and um, okay Graham Taylor wasn't the ideal choice no, he was very unlucky no. because he had a lot of injured players as yeah. uh, as England managers have always had at important times yeah. But that game against Holland, it really was the death knell. And there is a it book, uh, USA ninety four about the World Cup yep. ninety four coming out I've noticed on on your sites as well.
1: Yeah, again out through pitch pump It's written by uh, Matthew Evans. So uh, yeah, six um, yeah, nine uh, USA ninety four, yeah, the world is subtitled the World Cup, uh, the change the games So uh, I was uh, thinking about USA ninety four, there was only a few weeks back when um, and uh, the singer who was singing at the great... Oh, he was singing at the... I forget the lady's name. Is it Dinah Ross? Did she not? Uh, the one that missed the penalty. Oh, God. Oh, uh, it's in it's the, the uh, build really up. Up. Yeah, the goal out yeah. there, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. She completely tucked it wide, didn't she? So, uh yeah. But, yeah. But that was... Again, um, another member of World, World Cup in many different ways. But also, uh, not, well, not for England, but it was for Ireland, wasn't it? With Jackie Charlton's uh, team yeah. at that time. So, uh yeah, uh, but of course I think it's it I think it's one of those because it was so water, you know, the heat of it, and etc. Again, it's similar to Mexico in '86, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's one of those. It's uh, yeah, it never really took off though. In many ways, it did it in America as it, it was planned to be. I think it's America's more popular been now, now, isn't it? a
0: very funny yeah. and strange country in terms mm. of football because when they had the NASL, which Alan and many of our yeah. players went over and played in the NASL. During the seventies, and there are a couple of fabulous books that we did talk about um, in the last um, podcast about America. We will be talking. I'll bring them books out in a further podcast because the World Cup uh, is in Qatar this year. I believe there's a book about inside Qatar as well that I noticed on your site. But England do play. Yeah, do play uh, America again, and Anthony Hudson is uh, one of the coaches with the national team. So will be yeah. watching that space. But what happened? They lost the World Cup in 1986. I don't know how, but politically things do get given to nations that possibly shouldn't and nations that possibly yeah. should don't get it. America yeah. should have got it then. But I'm guessing that with the game as big as it was and still is American football with a soccer ball, with a baseball, with a basketball, football yeah. always played third, fourth, fifth fiddle in America. And they yeah. did struggle to get the cable networks uh, involved. And I think that when they lost the World Cup, that was it. The NASL did pretty much fold. Well, it did fold. And then it has been resurrected uh, with the yeah. Major League Soccer now. And America do look as though they're going places. And I yeah. have seen that, oh, England are going to smash them. Now, I think England will do well to draw with America because Anthony Hudson is one hell of a coach, and uh, like father, like son, so we will be, and I'm doing a, a, a project with Alan, uh, Alan Hudson's American uh, Dream, and we oh, are going to be, yeah, we're going to be catching up with, uh, with with Anthony as well, and we're going to be following Anthony's success, because he has followed his father's footsteps, Anthony was born in, uh, in Seattle, he is American, and um, and he is the coach of the American national team so yeah going forward we are going to be following that project as well so we've talked a lot about World Cup books has anybody yeah. done the 1998 Nike sponsored World Cup I'd like to know what really happened with Ronaldo well a
1: 1990, 1998 one I don't know yeah. it doesn't really bad actually because uh, when mm-hmm. you think of USA 94 there's another book that came out last month uh, which is Uh, 2002, which is when it went over to to Asia, of course, didn't it? Um, um, But 1998, doesn't ring a bell at the top of of the... Yeah, I think that's definitely going to be one that's still... There's been lots of books that cover it. There's one that's coming out in September, which covers all the World Cups. Again, it's coming out through Pitch Popper. It's called The Making of the FIFA World Cup, and it picks out uh, 75 um, moments, um, yeah, unforgettable moments from... I'm sure it includes about like Maradona's Hand of God, you know, etc. But um, nothing springs to mind that concentrates on 1998. I know there's a book written where uh, I think it's around uh, particular teams uh, that competed in that tournament, not one of the tournament itself. But as we well now, I'm sure someone will be doing that in the near future. It is a wonderful,
2: uh,
0: a, a wonderful book, yeah. The Story of the World Cup. The Essential Companion to Russia 2018. Again, it's a book that I haven't read and (laughs) up to 2018. It's Brian Glanville, who's a phenomenal football uh, writer. And um, it goes through all the World Cups, literally all of them, the games, the teams, write-ups. And, you know, that's my kind of book. Because, you know, you're living through now what's going on. But... And, and, and if I'm honest, with football, I'm more on the historical content. It's almost yeah. like the Bible. I'd rather look yeah. at the Old Testament than the, than the New Testament. <laughs> so up yeah. to what, about 19, probably 1990, that is the Old yeah. Testament. And all the new stuff, I'm not as bothered about the new <laughs> stuff as the old yeah. stuff. But I do love the 70s. I live in the 70s. My project, I've done a recent podcast, I've got to say, as well. Uh, John McGovern, what a fantastic guest. Oh, wow. John was. Yes. Yeah, wow. Captain of Nottingham Forest. And it is, a, it is out on all the um, platforms now, Spotify, Acast. Um, oh,
1: excellent. I'll have to go back on that. I think I missed that one from honest polls. So. Yeah, it's
0: quality. John was absolutely, absolutely fabulous. Didn't realise
1: so, he was a big, him, big, yeah, big, yeah. Tennis, big tennis fan as well. Yeah, I met him a couple of times, John. So, uh, obviously, being a foreign fan myself, I've uh, yeah, had the, the pleasure of his company. So, uh, he's it's such a nice bloke, really yeah. down-to-earth colouring. And, it uh, could, yeah, it, 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 there's no airs or graces to him, you know, and he's uh, so late um, uh, down-to-earth. Yeah. yeah, I don't know how else to put it. So, he's got some great stories as well, obviously, of the great Brian Clough. But, uh, yeah, he was never the greatest footballer. And I think you'd say that as well. I'm pretty yeah. sure huh? he said that when was, I, I sat at a discussion he did. he would say he's not the greatest footballer, but he was vital for that team. Yes. You know, uh, the Forest team, wasn't it? And uh, that's why Cluffy took him everywhere he went. Because, obviously, he was in the Derby team as well, wasn't he? Before before that. Yeah, Hartley uh, And Pools. others.
0: Yeah. And Hartley, Hartley
1: Pools, yeah. Hartley
0: Pools Derby. He moved his whole family down to work to Derby. Then yeah. uh, went to Nottingham Forest. Well, Leeds United first, of course. Uh, yeah. and got Absolutely hounded at Leeds United, yeah. <laughs> and think <then, It> you <laughs> couldn't wait to get out of there and go to Nottingham. But uh, yeah. he's a great guy, tremendous podcast, some lovely, uh, lovely stories that uh, that John tells. And I did say that you know, for many people, you were always regarded as a kind of father and son relationship with Brian Clough. Yeah. But listen yeah, to the oh, podcast and you'll get John's definitive answer to that. It didn't shock me, but I think it might shock a few. And there's another yeah. book I've just purchased, that if only Chris Shepherdson: uh, the decline and fall of England as a superpower, a football superpower. Picture of Martin Peters, Peter Shilton, and Paul Maidley uh, on, the, uh, on the front of it. Sadly, two of those players have passed away. And um, yeah. Peter's got black gloves on. Um, right. Yeah. So it does look as though, if I'm honest, it looks as though it's 1973. And that picture, I would say, is the Poland game. There's right. There were pictures taken about that game. And uh, I remember when I'd done a podcast with Alan Clark, he said after that, I'd, he pretty much didn't want to talk to anybody. He hardly slept. He was really cut up about that game <laughs> when England didn't qualify for the 70 World, 74 World Cup finals. But although I've got the books. On Sir Ralph. I've got the books yep. on Don Revie. I've got yep. the book on Ron Greenwood. I'm not a fan of either of those managers. I understand yeah. why they yeah. were England managers, but I'm yeah. not a fan because I think that they let the country down. Might be controversial, yeah. but none of them like the Mavericks. They didn't play our best players and as a consequence, we failed yeah. to qualify for the World Cup finals, and now it, that era has been scarred. I think because yeah. people look back and say, "Well, what did but, we do in the seventies? We never qualified. Well, we didn't because we didn't play the best players."
1: Yeah, I and mean, we just touched on Brian Clough and and biased a little bit of the Forest connection, yeah. but uh, you know the fact that he was not given that that uh, England job was he at that time? You know what what might have been different? You know, we'll never know. Will we? So uh, was... I I
0: remember talking to Ron Atkinson and asking him about asking him about that, and mm. he said, you know, I don't I don't think Brian would have enjoyed being the England manager mm. because yeah, he would have true. got bored. He liked yeah. the day-to-day management with the players, but what Ron said is what they should have done is yeah. got to the World Cup finals and give the team to Cluffy to get them yeah. over the line. Brian would have yeah. done that, and I think. For me, today, I would sack Gate. I've never been a fan of Gate. Uh, yeah, he's too yeah. defensive. I don't like yeah. him. I'd sack yeah. him. I'd give Pep the job and say, take him to Qatar and win us the World Cup. We've got a great yeah. bunch of players. But I think, sadly, history will repeat itself because of the management. And I think the players that we've always had, but the management have always let the country down.
1: Yeah, it's a particular theme there, isn't it? Going along behind the years. I think we um, can look at
0: all of them. I wrote poems. It's called uh, I Remember, and I look back at all the World Cups that I remember England's glorious failures. And there is, yeah. there is a thread, and it does come down. I didn't realise until I started working with Uddy and TC how important managers are to players and yeah. the yeah. and And I think that had we have had the best managers, as Simon Jordan always says, best in class. I think that yeah. we would have got the results, but sadly we didn't, and we haven't now. So good luck yeah. to England when we do play in Qatar uh, this November.
1: Yeah, not far away at all. So can I just mention one book? Yes. Because you mentioned, because I've mentioned it. Sorry, a couple of times. Brian Clough. There's another book. There's lots of books. Always Brian Clough. But there's another one coming out in September uh, called Alchemy. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right. Uh, it's Brian Clough and Pete, Peter Taylor at the Hartlepools United.
0: Right. Really?
3: So,
1: uh, yeah, so it's by a gentleman called Christopher Hall. Um, it comes out, yeah, in the 15th of September. So, obviously, it's a few months away anyway yet, but uh, that would be an interesting read. So, uh, obviously, in 62, Brian Clough, suffered that career, threatening knee injury, didn't he, in the, yeah, the futile battle for fitness, but eventually retired, and he joined up with... Um, with Peter Taylor, his ex-teammate, in managing the Cinderella Club of North East football, as it says in the synopsis of the book. Uh, and, yeah, the Hartlepools United were next to bottom of the fourth division when they went in. Uh, but it looks an interesting story. Obviously, that's the very start of his incredible managerial career. So, But, uh, yeah, just a link back to, to that. So that's coming out, um, yeah, in a few months' time. Yeah, really interesting read. John
0: talks about those days, uh linking mm. up with Brian for the first time at Hartlepool. Yeah, but I was watching a podcast. It's a Great Forest podcast. Um, can't remember the name of it now, but it is really good. I've watched a number of yeah. uh, them podcasts, and John O'Hare was one of the guests. And John oh, right. John was up there at Sunderland, and Brian was yeah. up there, and he re- he said yes, so he was there that game. I'm sure yeah. John said he was there that game when, when Brian had, had that injury that finished his career. Oh, right. And he took, right. I'm sure John said on this on podcast that Brian took the uh, the youth team at Sunderland for a bit because John O'Hare was there. And right. as a consequence with Derby, he knew of John O'Hare and then he brought John O'Hare down to Derby uh, from yeah. Sunderland. So, it, you, you know, and, and people then... I've always said like John O'Hare and John McGovern, they must have been the like uh, teacher's pet and that. And 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 John, yeah. John said, look, all it was was a job. Brian bought me in to do jobs. That's what it was. Yeah. Football is yeah. a job, and I think fans do get carried away with their football club and their. Passion for their yep. football club and don't realise that for the players and the managers, it really is just a job. And if a manager knows someone that can do that job, he brings them in to do it. And when they can no longer do the job, gets rid of them. Yeah, yeah,
1: absolutely. That's
0: what football-
1: it is in a nutshell. Yeah, you see. Plenty of, when the managers move, they tend to take certain players with them, don't they? Absolutely, because uh, they know. It's happened for the years.
0: Yeah, they know, and they know that player can do that job, so that's what it's, you know, yeah. football ain't rocket science. Do you remember a couple of podcasts ago when we were talking about that magnificent book from Richard Whitehead, The Cup? And oh, yeah. And a yeah. number of books on uh, the FA Cup. It was yeah. probably back April, May. Because you know yeah. we, we kind of have a little bit of a thread. This yeah. this part eight has been a World Cup because we we didn't plan to have a thread, but we tend to go on a tangent and we find yeah. a thread. <laughs> and Richard done that fantastic pictorial and brilliant. written because there was a lot of it was it was pretty much pitched as pictorial, yeah. but there's so many brilliant writings
1: oh, in Richard's
0: when stories about the FA Cup, and some of the finals, etc., and uh, phenomenal. And I said to you, has there ever been a book on the League Cup? And you said no.
1: I don't think there has. No. No. I don't think there has. Not that I'm aware of. I remember looking after we finished off. Our- I got a podcast on that, and I don't think I've ever come across one.
0: My mate's right It's isn't it?
1: strange, isn't it?
0: My mate's oh. right yeah, yeah. Ah, yeah, there Carlos. you go. Yeah, Rob. Who's that? Sorry. Rob Carlos. It's coming out. I believe in September. Right. I think I would. I was texting with him today, and I'm sure he said it's coming out September time.
2: Oh, um, right, okay.
0: Yeah, and he's going through all the decades of. It's gonna. It's gonna be called. Um, Also known as, because the League Cup got called the Milk Cup, it got called the.
1: Yeah, it, Little One.
0: Exactly. Uh, Rumbleau. Yeah, that's called called everything, Kenny. <laughs> it's it yes. Also known as. And, yeah. um, and I said to him, look, uh, you know, through the podcast that I've done, uh, working with Alan, working with TC, and done that one with John McGovern, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, Kenny yeah. Hibbett, uh, Pat Howard. All, these, all the lads have played in finals of the Cups through the 70s. So, yeah. one by one, I've gone round to them and they've all agreed to and they've all had some input into that period of time between 1970 and uh, 1980. So, I'm looking forward to that book coming out. That's yeah. Some phenomenal tales. And I think none more than um, Nottingham Forest, when they won the League Cup in 1978, When John Robertson scored scored the goal and John O'Hare got tripped outside the box and a penalty was given. I love Peter Taylor. They got him on camera, didn't they? Just come out the dressing room with (laughs) Robo. Congratulations, (laughs) Robo, scoring the goal. Um, Was it it inside or outside the box? And and he said, well, you know, and and then they said, well, Peter Taylor said, no, definitely it was inside the box. Well, Peter, we've got evidence. That it was outside the box. He said you've also got evidence that we won the cup.
1: <laughs> yes, yeah, exactly. He's brilliant one liner wasn't he? Peter he had Taylor a
0: super
1: great sense of humour. And I remember John Governor again talking about saying how he had that wonderful way of uh you know, Brian Cloth could have been serious, but there was a certain dry wit about a Peter Taylor, yeah. him, which uh, kept them all laughing at times and it kept them balanced in So uh well, that's I remember what that favorite
0: and when they yeah. had that fallout and he said I don't know what he's doing it, but he always made me laugh and yeah. he always made Cluffy yeah, laugh yeah. always made him laugh Though they, they were a great double act literally yeah, I mean right. they were as funny as but uh, yeah. also serious and uh, arguably the best managerial duo ever in the, uh, in the history of football as we're yeah. talking about the history of football I think it's a good time to uh, yep. have a chat with our author of the month Uh, Ned, yeah. good, uh, good evening sir, welcome
3: to uh, Book, well, the Football Book Corner podcast to give it its full title. Mr Paul Whittle, author of the month, but before you talk about your wonderful book, Before the Premier League, A History of Football League's Last Decades, tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got into writing football books.
2: Uh, well thank you for having me on, first of all it's a pleasure to be on. And um, um, yeah, well, it's um, it's from a lifelong love of football, um, playing and watching as a kid, and and just really being obsessed with everything about the game. Um, for me, that was from the very late '70s, early '80s, um, and just con- that that continued. I continued playing, uh, watching, um, watching various teams at first, and then my dad started taking me to Oldham Athletic in the early 80s so that that, that was my team um, got a few good years um, and yeah. it's not been great since um, and maybe about 10 years ago um, I, w- I wasn't playing football anymore uh, legs had gone and I was reading quite a bit of football history which I'd always been interested in um, and I thought so I had this idea for, for a book from you know the, the period really that I'd grown up with initially and just had sort of different ideas trying to get it um into a good format and you know this was what ended up as before the premier league and then i started doing a blog as well which i've really enjoyed that's at the 1888 letter uh, just looking at different games and tournaments and and different bits of football history mainly english football football league but some international as well um gone on facebook and twitter um, just posting old, you know, football anniversaries, uh, birthdays, things like that, uh, old matches, and yeah, I've I've really enjoyed doing the book and got that out last year, and yeah, um, pe- some people seem to enjoy it when they read it, which is the main thing for me. I, I didn't really have any, um, you know, idea that it was going to be a bestseller or anything like that. I'm just glad to have done it, and you know, people who do read it enjoy it.
3: I do apologise because you have sent it me. I haven't read it yet. Um, but it is almost like a before-the-premier-league Bible and there's some great interviews as well. What I like about the book flicking through, uh, you go through the decades and uh, there's some lovely interviews at the back and there's a lot of facts. Like, for instance, uh, Division 1 leading goal scorers, Tony Brown from seventy seventy one, Francis Lee, 71 72. I love things like that. I think that when you're writing books, then factual information's about the players that that achieved notoriety. It's great to write about them, but it's great to have them facts, who scored the goals and who was the first of this and that and the other. and, and, And you go back... In time and up to date, and there's some fabulous photographs uh, in there as well. Where did I love that one? Sealand Road, Chester, early 1990s. I mean, like, I mean, what a dump that was, wasn't it? You got all like, looks like budley growing out of the stands, and they they clearly wasn't playing football back then they'd moved on but you know for the newbie football fan all they see is these lovely modern all-seater stadium but us older guys know that football wasn't like that back in the day
2: yeah that's right I mean with, with everything it's the a balance as well yeah. um you know I wanted I wanted some stats to be in there in fact at first I had quite a few more you're just breaking up a little bit Paul yeah. Um, at first, I had more stats, but I've just sort of um, I took a few out and just sort of got it to a, what I thought was a nice level, just to balance the the rest of the book out. I really enjoyed doing the interviews. I got a good span of players right through from the early 60s up to the um, Premier League era. Players that had played all through, played players that played in different divisions, and they're you know basically giving them the chance to um, relate their experiences in the game. And yeah, the, the pictures as well. I contacted a few people because I just wanted a few to, you know, capture some of that atmosphere. And as you say, the old terraces and a lot of the grounds that have either gone completely or have been changed, um, you know, beyond recognition. You know, those are just some of the changes that, that, that we've seen in that time.
3: I love the the longest sequence of consecutive scoring. 15 in 12 games Bill Prendergast for uh, Chester 38-39 season longest unbeaten sequence Nottingham Forest 42 uh, games Hattrick's Air Dixie Dean 37 Tranmere, Everton Notts County in England and Division 1 in 1 season post-war Jimmy Greaves 6 Chelsea 1960-61 no wonder Tony Curry was in tears when Jimmy Greaves left I mean Jimmy was just a one-off and the greatest player that we've ever seen youngest football league players oldest football league players you you cover everything before the premier league and i think it's fantastic to have that all down in a book that people can purchase that can read and uh, can remember because those days should never be forgotten. I know that the modern game would like to eradicate all records and pretend that football did start in 1992, but as you've alluded to in your book, it was 19, 1888 was the first football league, and we should never ever forget that.
2: No, absolutely. I've I've tried to do that justice. You know, it's a it's a long history. Um, I didn't feel I was quite able to cover the the whole history from 1888. I've, I've more or less yeah. taken it. I've gone into it post-war yes. and then really from, from about 58 I really concentrate on it when it became the four national divisions so for me it's sort of going from there um, the abolition of the, the minimum wage being a really massive thing that you know, basically led to where we are now and then just going through 60s, 70s, 80s as you say and looking at the the major developments the things that changed in television and the Obviously, the way that money changed the game, and you know, different experiences of uh, watching the game. The stadiums have changed so so much has changed, and yeah, it's, it's definitely trying to do that justice. And you know, we, we get frustrated when you know people talk about records since 1992. When yeah. there's you know there's over a hundred years before that that you know, as you say, should never be ignored. And you know, I'm, I'm just trying to bring some of that. That back, particularly that period that I remember growing up, that I think is often, you know, the 80s are just seen as a, as a grim time of hooliganism, low crowds, English clubs out of Europe. But, you know, I think there was a lot more going on there. There was a lot more competition in the league and it wasn't, it was getting that way, but it wasn't totally dominated by money. And, you know, I'm just trying to, as I say, do justice to that, that period of, of English football.
3: Absolutely. A lovely picture of you on the back, born in Leeds at the start of the seventy three, seventy four season. Paul spent much time playing and watching football ever since and he writes about the games history at all the W's dot the eighteen eighty eight letter dot com. This is his first book. When's your second? And who's the pictures? Why the pictures on the front? And I I says to Andy, I love the iconic brown football with the laces in it.
2: Yeah, I, I wanted to get that. Um and yeah, <laughs> The picture of me there's a there's a few of me to to choose from for football so um i just thought i'd get to get something in there that's that's probably late 70s as well um, and and yeah the ones on the front um the one of Ro- there's one of roca park which yeah. you know fantastic old ground um, and that was taken by um, a chap that I know, John Dewhurst, who's also an author, writes a lot about Bradford football history. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is from his own collection. He took quite a few uh, during the 80s. So that's um, fantastic stand and ground that's now that's now gone. And the second one was um, kindly provided to me by James Court. And that was actually taken by his dad. And that's at Molineux. Uh, but a very different looking molyneux isn't it just? Uh, very early nineties from the away terrace big old terrace uh, looking out over the rest of the ground which um, isn't in the best condition to, to be fair mm. to it but you know, there were two great pictures that people kindly provided to me that you know they'd taken themselves over were family photographs which you know are from that that era
3: and I think the Molyneux is a great example of the modern game, how it's changed, because, as you said, they moved out, Sullen moved out Roker Park, went to Stadium Alloy. You know, many teams have, have moved out of grounds and gone to uh, pretty similar stadiums out of town. But the Wolves have stayed there at Molyneux. And that picture is a fantastic example of how bad Wolves were then at that time and how far that one stand was away from the football pitch. I mean, I know the West Ham fans aren't very happy at London uh, Stadium, although at the moment they're quite happy because they're winning. But you did need binoculars to sit in that uh, stand on the side of the you back in those
2: days, didn't you? Yeah, it's very, very bizarre, isn't it? They they ran into some uh, financial problems. Yeah. I think they wanted to move the whole ground in that direction and ran out of money. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it does look very, very strange. Um, You know, quite a lot of teams. Chelsea at that time as well also had big problems and also had one, you know, brand new stand, but the rest of the ground was, was not looking so great. Yeah, I think it's a real shame when... Um, when teams move and lose all that history, yeah. you know, some, sometimes you understand it, but as you say, a lot of the stadiums just just look the same. They, they don't have the same feel to them. They don't have the history um, and often they don't have the, the same atmosphere. I think I think those are all things that can be lost.
3: Absolutely. And I think as well, what shouldn't be lost is lots of the football clubs, they had to sell their better players to finance, stadium. Uh, developments, whether it be a stand or the the entire ground. And I think that when you look at Ipswich Town, a great example, you look at where they are today, that they sold so many players to finance Portman Road. Okay, yeah, they stayed there, but at what cost? And I know for a fact that Chelsea, to finance the East Stand in the 70s, they sold uh, Alan Hudson and Peter Osgood. And it was an ongoing thing where clubs didn't have the greatest of, shall we say, business acumen because when Alan Hudson was sold from Stoke City to Arsenal, that was as a direct result of the uh, Butler's Lane uh, stand falling down in the high winds in January 76 and Alan had to be sold because that stand wasn't insured. Wouldn't happen today.
2: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that that was a real shame, actually, for Stoke, who had a yeah. great team at the time. I think Peter Shilton and Jimmy Greenhoff were also sold as a direct result, as well. Yeah, yeah, it was. It, it, you know, in, in some ways, that's you know, that's a nice thing that clubs weren't quite so corporate and so so business orientated. But yeah, I think they could be a little bit naive as well with that. And and again, it's a balance. You know, obviously they want to. And be able to make money and, and compete, but I think sometimes modern football's you know obsessed with that um, more than anything, uh, and it you know, to me it takes a little bit away from the game that you know the richest clubs are always at the top and always winning, and you know you mentioned Ipswich Town, you know they were you know one of the best teams in the country, and looking not to win the league, challenging for trophies, you know without a big budget, you know just Good management under Bobby Robson, you know, put put together a good set of players, and you'd get that so much more, wouldn't you? With yeah, in the in the 70s, especially Derby and Nottingham Forest winning league titles, you know, it's it's hard to imagine uh, that happening now. You you need a billionaire or mega billionaire to uh, to compete.
3: Yeah, it's almost uh, an unrecognisable. Game. I love on page fifty six progress of the British transfer record sixty one to ninety two, June sixty one. Jerry Chin's Villa to Inter Milan, eighty five thousand pounds. I mean, it's it's just it's just laughable, isn't it? When you look at the prices now of uh, the, while this window is open and you can buy any i don't really want to seem disrespectful, but in the Premier League, any average Joe for about twenty-five million, and like in those days, you got an absolute world-class superstar for eighty-five grand. It's it's just bizarre, and and sixty-one, of course, wasn't um, wasn't that long ago.
2: No, no, relatively speaking, mm-hmm. I mean the the wages um, as well as the transfer fees have just just exploded, as as we know, you know, it's just unimaginable from. You know a time when even even the best players you know they weren't getting paid that much more than than people in other professions yeah. people in good jobs and i think the fans related more to the players then and now they're just totally removed they're obviously celebrities they're they're superstars and you know you can't blame the players so much because yeah. you know who's who's going to turn that down you know that's just the way it's gone but I think it has um, removed some of that connection that that fans had to players, and obviously there was a time when, you know, they they really weren't paid enough, you know, and yeah. yeah, when the club when the clubs had the um, the maximum wage, you know, they were able to basically keep players on a on a pittance. So again, it's you know it's that thing of balance that it it changed, but then you know it just went further and further away from. I think what was intended to keep a balance of the league and, you know, prevent a certain number of clubs just being that much bigger and richer than everyone else that they were going to dominate the league. And, you know, I think we see now that, that that's what happens, you know, um, when, when the money's totally uncontrolled and um, you see smaller clubs, you know, falling by the wayside Macclesfield and Bury in recent years, you know, Oldham have been on the brink of that for mm. so, especially the you know, a Premier League players a couple of weeks wages. You know, that's it's um, I, I, you know you can't have a feeling that that's that's sort of gone too far, really.
3: Absolutely, and Oldham being now, of course, non-league and uh, the first club to hit, well, I wouldn't say hit that status. It's you know, it's um. It's been a race to the bottom, hasn't it? Really, sadly for Oldham Athletic, but the first team that played in the Premier League to play now non-league football—it just is incredible how that team, I mean that wonderful side under Joe Royal and done so very, very well—is is now as a non-league football team, well, club. Um, how long did this labour of love take you?
2: Um, it took us <laughs> Um, to, to get it um, really in, in a format that I was happy with. Yeah. Um. I, I. mean, my main inspiration for it, went up, um, by R. C. Churchill, which was called "60 Seasons of League Football," which had went up to 19. You just, you're just breaking 19... up
3: again. You're just breaking up. You're going a bit darkly, like Terry Curran used to in the old days of the Curran View. <laughs>
2: I'll just, I'll just um, go back to uh, that. So my main inspiration for the book was um, a book that I found by someone called R.C. Churchill, which was 60 Seasons of League Football, which took it right from the start, 1888 up to 1958, and it sort of looked at the periods of the league in chunks divided by the world wars, but it had a lot of statistics for each club. And initially I had in mind something like that, and I had more statistics, as I say, but, you know, a lot of it's on the internet, a lot of it may be, you know, people can find in other places um, so I, I left them in I left in a, a sort of section as as you've mentioned uh, which I think is important as well but maybe a bit less emphasis on that and more on the interviews which I wasn't expecting when I started the book um, a friend of mine so we had, a, we had a chat about the book generally and he was saying well you know if you could get a couple of interviews that'd be great but you know I didn't really know how to go about it initially Um, But my friend who actually works for the FA put me in touch initially with Paul Davis, uh, which was a fantastic way to start. You know, league title winner, well, won virtually everything um, in the English game. um, And also Nigel Gleghorn, who, you know, had a great experience at different clubs, you know, 500 odd games, uh, and he'd started as a fireman, uh, which I enjoyed. Uh, hearing about you know, went basically straight from the fire service to the first division which you know is, is is unheard of these days and they were great interviewees and and from there i was able to get in touch with a couple more people a couple more people after that so i got this nice balance um, you know half a dozen players who played at different levels of the football league and all that you know great experiences played played at different clubs. Some of them had played in the North American League, which is quite interesting to hear about as well. So that that part of it came maybe in the last couple of years. Uh, Paul Davis, I think I interviewed just before uh, the first lockdown. I actually went to St. George's Park to meet him, um, which was also quite an experience. Um, And then after that, I was able to, to put it together reasonably quickly and, and get it out last last year, so I mean it's um, it's hopefully something that will stand the test of time as well. It's not sort of limited to to, to 2021 or 2022. It's meant to be a, a history that's there to you know to either remind those of us who were there and, and maybe introduce people who weren't around um, to you know a little slice of how how English football was before then.
3: Steve, I'm not, I'm not familiar with this fella, Steve Hetz,
2: Steve Hetskeer, yeah. yeah, he'd had um, a, a long career. Um, never played in the, at the top level, but he'd um, spent quite a long time with Reading. Yeah. Moved on to Blackpool, and then he played for Sunderland under Laurie McMenemy, which wasn't wasn't their best period, unfortunately. Um, and he. I think he finished at Chester and then Colchester. And it's just interesting to hear from a player who, you know, didn't make the very top level, didn't didn't make millions of pounds out of it. But he had a long career, you know, he, he started very young. I think he was Reading's youngest ever player when he made his debut and sort of talking about football in the seventies, you know, how physical it was, you know, some of the changes and he's still involved also. Um coaching and scouting and, and got involvement in the game. So he's got sort of a perspective on, on some of those changes that we've been talking about. And it's just interesting to me, you know, he's talking about different managers. Uh, Jock Wallace was his manager at the end of his career, obviously, Laurie McManamy. Um, earlier than that, Morris Evans at, at Reading, different characters that, you know, I've obviously heard and read about, but, you know, to hear a bit more about their, their styles and how players... Respond to different managers. You know, it's it's really interesting to me as a fan.
3: Absolutely, and he played for Vancouver Whitecaps in the NASL in 1976. But I love the uh, the reference to uh, Billy Whitehurst. And another player, (laughs) you're at Reading, Robin Friday. I mean, two legends of the Football League. Billy Whitehurst, without any fear of doubt, the hardest man that's ever played football. And Robin Friday, one of the greatest mavericks. Lots of people would have heard of the name, but don't know who Robin Friday was. But, I mean, if you could put a player's... uh, Career and life on the silver screen. Robin Friday would be up there with the best of them, wouldn't he?
2: Yeah, yeah, he's got. A, there's a couple of books uh, on him alone as well, aren't they? You know, he's yeah, one of those characters there. that you just don't don't see in modern football. And you know, that's that's something I, I mentioned in the in the book. And obviously, you're uh, talking regularly to Alan Hudson and Terry Curran, who are those sort of players that you know you really don't don't tend to come across. You know, so many of them stand bowls. Uh, Tony Curry, you know, and the you know players who, you know, and Robin Friday is interesting because he never again got right to the top level, but he's, you know, like you say, he's a he's sort of a legendary figure, isn't he? Cult figure in yeah. the, in the game, you know, a- absolute maverick who maybe didn't you know make the most of his talent, but very well remembered.
3: But it just goes to show, doesn't it, that there's been so many players that have played football through the years, and. You don't have to actually hit the highest height to be remembered. And, and Robin, you're right, there's a fantastic book, uh, two parts uh, by Stuart Cain, who I've had the pleasure to do uh, a podcast with, who uh, wrote about and tells the story of Robin Friday. And some of those stories of Robin really are absolutely legendary.
2: Yeah, yeah, definitely things that you wouldn't uh, get away with nowadays no, no, absolutely in, in no.
3: imagine <laughs> that on a, can you imagine those on a serious note lots of the things that our mavericks and players did back in those days you look at the wokeness of football today it they just that there are and i think as a consequence we haven't got the charismatic players and the characters because it's been knocked out of them probably one of the few that we have got thankfully is Jack Grealish who is a throwback to the olden days thank god we still need people like that to look up to watch playing football admire them and thinking go on son you're one of us
2: yeah, that, I mean that's that's what people want to see generally yeah. when they're watching football as well. Someone who's going to do something a little bit different. Yeah. And I think you know th- th- there are you know it'd be it'd be crazy to say there haven't been improvements. You know yeah. the the players are fantastic technically. They're obviously super fit. But if there was a criticism, it's that the game can be a little bit stereotyped. That yeah. you know people play the same way. That they're obviously so well coached. Everything's so well drilled. It doesn't seem to be as much room for that sort of spontaneity, those those skills, those players doing things off the cuff that you used to see um, a, a lot more. I used to love watching Glenn Hoddle when I was a kid. Yeah. You know, fantastic passer of the ball, both feet. You know, ahead of his time really, um, playing on terrible pitches, getting kicked about, and you know, just had that that extra level of skill that you know even. Not necessarily a fan of that team as a player, you'd think you know, just, just amazing to watch. And there were a lot, you know, there were a few of those around in, you know, um, John Barnes, Chris Waddle, obviously Gaza a little bit later on. Mm-hmm. You know, there were those sort of players still still around, and there just seemed to be less of them.
3: And another lovely thing that we used to have in, in those days that we don't have today, players staying at a football club for almost their entire career. Steve Ball was probably the last one and Matthew Letizia, also with Southampton, uh, bringing it up to date. But, you know, we had... Players like Derek Parking, you know, who holds the most appearances at Wolverhampton Wanderers, Kenny Ibbitt second. We've got Stevie Perryman at, at Tottenham Hotspur, Terry Payne at Southampton. These players have done like, over 700 games and playing at a good level of football as well. So it, 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 It's something that you just wouldn't get today.
2: And I think it's another thing that you know, the fans are identified with. A lot more as well, and especially in the lower divisions. Now you get such a turnover yeah. of players on short-term contracts. Yeah. It's a different team almost every year. Mm. You know, the longest-serving player will have been there, you know, two, three years, um, and and it, you know, you, you don't feel the same connection again. You don't feel the same same bond as when you had those those long-serving career players. Um, you know, Paul Davis spent, you know best part of two decades with Arsenal, David O'Leary uh, alongside him, you know, uh, Steve Perriman, people that you've mentioned, mm. uh, just seem to be a lot um, a lot more widespread, players staying basically for their career at the at the same club. And, you know, I don't, I don't know how much agents or, you know, the way contracts are negotiated have to do with it now, but it's, it's another thing that, you know seems to have lost a little bit of connection between fans and the, and the clubs, the fact that the players move so often.
3: Absolutely. In the Club, we had a player, Jude Bellingham, I think he played about 20 games for Birmingham City.
2: Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags and so much more.
3: We retired his shirt again. Mm. Something that you look at, you just yeah. you just would never have had that back in the old days. It is just a bonkers game. And managers, you look at the you know the sack race that, that you'll see on Sky TV. I mean, basically in our day, the sack race was you'd turn up as a parent and you'd you'd enter the sack race with your kids, and that's their way of like looking at mum or dad and having a right laugh. But the seriousness of it now is, if you don't kick off a season, and shortly the, the teams will be kicking off a season, you lose your first five or six games in the Premier League, you, you toast.
2: Yeah, yeah, it's it's that short-term thing, and the, the, you know the rewards are so great, okay. but also you know the danger if you get relegated, that you know you're going to lose so much money, you're going to be stuck with players on the huge wages. Everyone's you know scared of that, so that, you know, like you say, it's half a dozen games. And you say Watford So seem to get through, you know, four oh. or five managers a season. You know, it's it's
3: just crazy. It just is bonkers, isn't it? For us older guys, it is absolutely crazy. You know, in the olden days, you'd say that manager has been with us for four seasons. I mean, now they are with you for four seasons. But you know, it's like August, spring, winter, and uh, and summer. Those are the yeah. four seasons yeah. that you're with them. It's just absolutely crazy. How do you get any continuity? How do you get any stability in your football club when you keep sacking the managers? Sir Alex Ferguson, a prime example, starting off at Manchester United, you could say not on a good footing, but they backed him and look at the success that Sir Alex brought to Manchester United. Alex Ferguson wouldn't have been Sir Alex these days. He'd have probably lasted a few games that have sacked him.
2: Yeah, definitely. Uh, by, by the late 80s, he'd, he'd have been gone, wouldn't he? Yeah, definitely. seasons where they, they were nowhere in the league, didn't win anything.
3: Shankly done the yeah. same as yeah, well when gone. he started at yeah. Liverpool. Never won nothing at first, but built great sides at Liverpool Football Club. And them two the greatest, two of the greatest football clubs in world football, possibly might not have happened had it not been. For the, the brilliance of, of the management, and the intelligence of the people that run the football clubs—they
2: tended to leave the manager to it. To yeah, a, they did. A, yeah, much much more of an extent. I mean, a lot of the teams that I obviously mentioned in the book—that are you know the, the great teams of you know certainly post-war English football—that you just associate them with the manager, don't you? Matt Busby at yeah. Manchester United, yeah. Shankley at Liverpool, Revy at Leeds, Clough well both Derby and Forest, you know the great managers. I mean, Clough must be the last one to have you know, lasted that long at a single club. Yeah. You know, I, I hardly remembered a time when Clough wasn't the manager yeah. of Nottingham Forest, you know, yeah. right up to the uh, Premier League era. And that just, it, it, you know, it doesn't seem to happen. No, absolutely. Ferguson obviously being the, the exception.
3: What does happen is the uh, the owners of football clubs like to get the football boots on and turn up at the training ground. I remember Ron telling me about Doug Ellison. <laughs> what the hell's going on here? Like he stuck him in the wall. And he said to Sid, Sid, just fizz one past his right ear hole and he soon buggered off. In. <laughs> well, you, get, you didn't have that, They. They owned or run the club and let the manager manage the football club and the players play. Everybody had the roles. These days, the owners seem to want to do absolutely everything.
2: The the owners seem to be the the sort of personalities in their own right. Yeah. And obviously, there's a few chairmen. You know, Ken Bates was, was notorious, Doug Ellis, as you've mentioned. Mm. But they were the exception, really. I mean, yeah. for a long time, the chairman... They were just the people who, who ran the club, effectively. Yeah. They weren't we looking didn't, for publicity. We didn't know them, did we? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly, mm. we didn't know them. Uh, that they, they were there to, to run the club as best they could but leave the management to the manager and now it seems a lot of them want the limelight.
3: Absolutely, you know, referees. They're,
2: they're re- Referees,
3: yeah. another one as well, Paul. You know, we didn't know who the referees were back in the day. We watched them. They had a black uniform on. They had a whistle, and they refereed it. Now they want to be stars. It's the only stars in football are the football players. When's your uh, When's your next book? And I well, are you working on a next book?
2: Um, I have to say, at the moment, I'm not working on 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 the next book. Um, it's something I maybe like to do in the future. Yeah. I'd have to have a, a you know. A really strong idea to you know put the, put the time in the the research it takes you know I really enjoyed this one because mm. um, it's you know it's a labour of love it's the, yes. the era I grew up with um, you know it either be another angle on that or you know something else that really really um, you know had my my total commitment and interest at the moment I'm enjoying doing the blog uh, just researching different bits and pieces of. Of football history, um, I've just done one about the 1982 World Cup, which is the first World Cup I remember as well. Uh, I think you know, I had some great, great games, great memories from that. Um, I just like you know, picking up different bits and pieces of uh, of football history wherever I can, and doing a bit of research and doing a little little feature on the blog is a good uh, way to keep that ticking over. But I'm certainly not ruling out writing another one in the future.
3: Fabulous. Absolutely fabulous. And uh, finally... Give another shout out to your website, to your social medias and where people can go and buy your wonderful book before the Premier League, a history of the football league's last decades. And guys, it is a beautiful little book. It's got everything in there. It's got interviews. There's uh, lots of stories. There's lots of factual information. It's a book that you should be very, very proud of. And if I ever do a book, Well, I won't because I'm not intelligent enough, but it would be something similar to your book in in the way that you've written it. Factual information, stories and interviews as well. So well done. And thank you very much, Paul Whittle.
2: Well, thank you. Thank you very much for your kind words. And yeah, you can buy the book and also find a little bit more information about it on my blog, which is called The 1888 Letter. So it's at the1888letter.com forward slash book but the 1888letter.com's got different features anyway that's that's my blog um, mainly about same era pre-Premier League English football I'm on Twitter at 1888letter and I'm on Facebook and Instagram at before the Premier League
3: Well done mate, superb be very very proud of what you've done thank you so much for your time and uh, it's back to Andy now
0: Well, thank you so much, Paul. And uh, there we go, back to uh, back to you and me, mate. That was a Excellent. fantastic twenty minutes, or so with uh, Paul talking about that wonderful book before the Premier League. And uh, yeah. for anybody listening from Sky, yes, football <laughs> was invented before 1992. We have evidence.
1: Yeah, no, it's great to talk about the history of football, and yeah. my link to that, then, will be on the next book, um, is um, going right back to the. Um, back to the early 1900s there was a book that came out about Newcastle United and the Great Days by David Potter and it talks about the years from 1904 to 1911 Uh, and as we all know Newcastle is a a football mad city but they really did dominate football uh, in those early years Um, they won the league uh, three times in five years Uh, there was various near misses as well around the cup but they were considered, yeah, the best team in in the world and that was in, uh, yeah, around that period. So, uh, but yeah, so it's a period that of course will never get mentioned on Sky Sports. They will talk about how Newcastle have been reinvented with all the money they're going to suddenly have now. Uh, but yeah, football was invented a long time before uh, that. And yeah, again, one of those uh, iconic teams that um, this is where football books. Um, well, this is the joy of football books. It remembers those great teams. Those great teams that no one, you know, um uh will know about really, unless you read fascinating books like this one. Absolutely. Um, written by David Potter. Uh, David uh, Potter. And again that comes that that was uh, out through Pitch publishing. So um uh, we did a feature I've done a feature post on the uh, uh on my website, um, around that particular book as well. So yeah.
0: There was two teams that were deemed um world champions unofficial world champions of course because we never had any tournament in those days to define who mm. the world champions were but Newcastle at that time and Aston Villa as well uh, yeah. were 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 undisputed champions of the world we had two really fabulous sides two great sides and yeah. uh, they they do get overlooked but i do love the history of yeah. football and that's the beauty of these books that brings the history to life and another yeah. book that does bring history to life. Seasons in Hell by Neil McCreary and Neil yeah. Thornton, British footballers killed in the Second World War. That sounds yeah. like a fantastic book. I do love my history. I don't know much about it, but I do like to look at it.
1: <laughs> yeah, no. That's that could that comes out through um pen and sword books who uh, really focus on, uh, uh, well, if you ever go on their website, they focus a lot on history, not just football, not just sport, but um, history in general, you know, world wars, etc. But yeah, they do some cracking books where they do it on football uh, and they focus on the the very early days, but that particular one, yeah, the British footballers that were killed in the the Second World War. So, uh, uh, a tragic book, of course, um, but also an interesting book as well, which recalls that time. But uh, yeah, they write some great books to the written of one um, recently around um, the greatest fo- um, footballer of the time, whose name escapes me, but it will come back to me. But the yeah, Pen and Sword books yeah, of, I have a knack yeah. of doing those great stories.
0: Yeah, that's that's the thing. There are that many books and that many players that you'd never heard of that were yeah. absolute superstars of their time. And Brings me nicely to another couple of books and the Aston Villa connection. I am a Birmingham City supporter. I did put a Mm. post on Twitter yesterday because I uh, I know the uh, managing director Mm. of Birmingham City and I've seen Edward and had a chat and I put a post up on Twitter. Best wishes to Edward and all at Birmingham City. My God, did I get trolled. Oh my, oh my, oh we had to block a few, couldn't believe the abuse that I received, but there you go, Birmingham City football supporters, some of them, not all of them, some of them are great, some of them like, all supporters are um, a sandwich short of a picnic
1: Oh yeah, and I mean, I I mean, strange in terms of I find it odd when you see some uh, st- uh, just people get really offended, don't they? And they come out, you know, on social media or just hide behind that computer and just throw things at you. Yeah, I've had a couple just to be fair. I, I know
0: I know most of them. Yeah? Some of them were me family.
1: All I was a bit different man.
0: Yeah, absolutely. But I did put a post, I've done a I've done one with Keith Burchin, uh, Legends of the Seventies. Keith's a great lad. And um, we've just remastered that along with that. We've just done the recent one with with John and uh, I posted that up today. Absolutely nothing from Birmingham city fans. (laughs) Then if I post anything about Villa, or Edward that owns Birmingham City, I get dog's abuse. If I post anything <laughs> about Birmingham City former players, absolutely not a sausage. So yeah. uh, here's a couple of books from Aston Villa greats. Uh, Jonathan Northall, uh, forward by Claire yeah. Taylor MBE, The Life and Death of Andy Ducat. And yeah. a fantastic read uh, of the fella who was a villa captain in uh, 1920. Yeah, yeah. A tremendous book, and sadly on a fateful day at Lords in 1942, he had a heart attack at the crease, but what a yeah. great read. And Colin Brown's book, The Armistice Day, Killing the Death of Tommy <laughs> Ball and the yeah. Life of the Man Who Shot Him. So just, yeah. just fantastic books. I
1: Remarkable. Mean,
0: they they are I mean there's a story that I've come across it's actually one of um my my ex-wife her granddad he was captured um during the R- Russian revolution um while he was fighting uh, for the Tsars, uh, for the tsar mm-hmm. against the red army he got captured yeah. he got put in prison he had a um, stay of execution on numerous occasions when they let him go out into the uh, the yard he uh, he found a football i don't know how he found the football but he did they realized that he was a damn good football player and um he ended up playing for uh, for Moscow and uh, got a <laughs> got a medley with a top scorer <laughs> and then when he came back to england he played for halso in town which nicely uh, ties it into Tom, my uh, my stepson, on his bed here. Uh, Hales Owen Juniors is the, the manager of their under-18 floodlit team. So, yeah, 100 right. years ago, and there's still a little bit of Hales Owen, the Yelts, in, in our family. So, I'm going to do a podcast uh, with a historian at Hales Owen, and I just think it's a fabulous story. Again, another wartime story and, and someone that was pretty much, OK, not mm. death row, but he certainly was facing the death penalty by the yeah. Red Army and, um, and lived to tell the tale 100 years ago. There were absolutely yep. fantastic football stories.
1: Yeah, and I just uh, you just mentioned it—the state Killing. So uh, yeah, I, again, I featured that one as well. So that's a dramatic story. And It is just about a hundred years ago. I think it was nineteen twenty-three, in fact. So with that fateful meeting, that you've mentioned they had the All-Star team, wasn't it, Aston Villa? And Andy Ducat was part of that. Yeah. But obviously, that that book talks about the um, yeah the death of um, well, it was, it's, it's the death of the only English professional footballer deemed by law. To be me- uh, murdered, and that was Tommy Ball. Um, and then his killer was, um, was a man called George Stagg. He was a former soldier and a policeman who became uh, his landlord and his neighbour. And apparently, they had a difficult relationship. But just again, you know, um, tragic story, but it's a fascinating story as well. So, uh, uh, and as uh, that boy was he's very diligent in his research, Colin Brown, to look into that. Uh, and try and do and, and un- uncover a bit more, but even on the back of that book, some of the the picture um, and the that's the way player, the players are carrying the coffin of the Tommy Ball and yes. Andy Koo, two cats in that picture uh, of that um, yeah in that particular one. But yeah, just just incredible stories, isn't there? Um, yeah, from that time.
0: They are they're fantastic so, stories that that should mm. be told. And 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 although I do joke that I that I don't read the books. I still buy them and I buy them for yeah. reference and in the hope that one day I, I can retire and i could yeah. love to be able to make podcasts and read books and, <laughs> and do something in the game. I um, Yeah, it, it probably will never happen, but the books are there just in case. So thank you to all the writers that write these fantastic publications. Another book that really has caught my fancy, uh, mm-hmm. and again, I notice everything... On your social media sites. The Longest Winter by Mark Hodgkinson, a uh, season yeah. with England's worst ever football team. Again, early yeah. 70s, isn't it?
1: Yeah, it is. And it's um, centred around, that comes out in August, I think it is. So, when is that? That's next month now, isn't it? Yeah, it's the year yeah, of right, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, I know. The so, season starts next month as who well, is, doesn't who it? Was,
0: right. Who was the worst ever team? <laughs>
1: It was Rochdale, Rochdale. Oh, so it the book really? that thing refers to, the Rochdale team. Yeah, the 1973-74, they're considered the yeah the worst team oh, in the football league. Yeah, <laughs> Did they get so,
0: relegated in that year?
1: Well, it says they finished bottom of the third division. Yeah, so winning just twice in 46 league matches. Uh, they closed the season with, this is unbelievable, they closed the season with a 22-game winless run. Uh, and played one home match in front of their lowest uh, ever mm-hmm. post-war crowd. So, but I suppose uh, but be,
0: if we're yeah. going to talk over you,
1: but if we're no, gonna, no.
0: if we're going to talk about the worst team ever, I get the worst record of a team ever.
1: But yeah. surely
0: the worst that there was twenty-two worse teams than them because they were in Division Four. At least they were in Division Three.
1: Yeah, 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 true, true, yeah, absolutely. But apparently that season, 32 players played for that team, and many of them were actually drafted in uh, from amateur or even Sunday league clubs. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it's um, it's interesting. It says the longest winter is basically, it's a piece of uh, forensic social history, as is a uh, sports book, and uh, yeah, it looks a fascinating read. So it's written by a guy called my uh, Mark Hodkinson, uh, and I know he's written um, uh, books before. I've read his previous book, which was, again, it was based on Rochdale. It was called The Overcoat Men. Okay. Um, I'm pretty sure it was the same guy, So, which is a, a great book as well. So, yeah, but yeah, the longest with to that would be an interesting read from an interesting time, isn't it? So, uh, but it was a time when, I'm just reading in an hour, so um, the, uh, the Ara- um, Arab and Israel War. It uh, since all the energy prices soaring. Petrol was scarce, and uh, no, offices were to. Sorry, Well, it's weird, isn't it? Yeah, we've gone full circle, haven't we? But the offices were limited to a temperature of 17 Celsius, and power cuts were frequent. So, uh, uh, and uh, yeah, the three-day working week came in as inflation took hold. So, it's weird. It is exactly now. <laughs> so uh, yeah, the longest winter has uh, many parallels with now. Yeah, yeah.
0: Next yeah. winter <laughs> we're going yeah, have next We got no prime minister. Even the prime minister's buggered off. We well, got... I wonder which.
1: Ti- oh, I wonder which. Team- I wonder which team's going to be the worst team next season because there'll probably be a book oh, in forty years' time mind. then.
0: I just say <laughs> <opened> it mine. <laughs> the dog's <laughs> abuse that Edward and I will get on social media if we're the world Long winter will be unbearable. And another <laughs> one, talking and touching upon uh, World Cups, Blood on the Crossbar by Reese Richards, the Dictatorship World Cup, Argentina yeah. 78.
1: Yeah, yeah, that comes out in uh, the September, doesn't it? So yeah. again, through Pitch Publishing, um, they do write some great books, don't they? I don't yeah. know how they managed to get these, but uh, yeah, it's the story of the most controversial World Cup of all time, as they say, so when Argentina, uh, what they both hosted and won that World Cup then in 1978. And it was just two years after the coup de. Oh, how do I say this wrong? Coup de, f- de It was the Junta, uh, wasn't it? The Junta, the Junta, however you
0: pronounce yeah. it, that run
1: Argentina,
0: yeah. that, that brutal regime in, in those days. Um, yeah. I remembered Alberto Tarantini um listening to him on a broadcast. Uh, yeah. I think one of the Hunter, the top men at the Hunter, um, yeah. went to shake his hand, so he grabbed his bone <laughs> testicles, rubbed them round, and then shook yeah. his hand. I mean a yeah. l- lot of Argentinians ended up in the bottom of the river plate, didn't they? With that brutal yeah. regime. Yeah. They got the World Cup, I don't know how. There was that infamous game against yeah. Peru. I think the yeah. uh, Peruvian goalkeeper was born in Argentina. They needed to win by, I think it was six goals, <laughs> and they did. There was But a, a don't take anything away. Argentina were a great team. Yeah, I love yeah, Leopoldo, Luque, Osvaldo Ardeles, Mario Kempes played up there. Alberto yeah. Tarantini come to uh, Birmingham. Keith does talk yeah. about Alberto in the latest podcast. A great little story about Alberto. Yeah and the language barrier. Um yeah. Passarella as well was another player in that Argentinian team. Uh, I think Rennie Houseman was another player. They they had a lot of like good players, uh Argentina. Did. And I think Johan Cruyff Johan Cruyff definitely didn't go. Now there's two schools of thought. One that he didn't go on political grounds because Johan was a little mm. bit like that. The other one mm. was um a story about his wife wouldn't let him go because he got found in uh, in a bath in nineteen seventy four some bird. That's it. Yeah, that's it. That's <laughs> so you can it. Yeah. T- take your pick, what one you decide to believe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's it.
1: But even our Argentina, too, you had our uh, dealers, didn't you, as well? Yeah,
0: I think. Uh, yeah,
1: I was the And then, um, was that was he? Then he went to Tottenham after that. I'm trying to remember yeah, now. Yeah, so. I mean, you had Ricky yeah. Villa,
0: Ricardo Villa. Yeah, of course. He, um, yeah. he went to Tottenham with with Aussie. And um yeah. Alberto come to uh, come to Birmingham City and play yeah. for us, Sir Alf Ramsey was was the manager at the time at Birmingham. But um yeah. yeah, I mean Alberto's hair was the one I mean he's bald now. I don't think he's yeah. got a head of hair on it, bless him. But he's on Twitter yeah. as well, Alberto, and I do link yeah. him into a few things because I, I do look at the uh, the pictures of Birmingham City in the uh seventy uh seventy eight, seventy nine, 78, 79. Or 77, 78, 78, 79 seasons, yeah. they had Keith, we had Trevor, we had Alberto Tarantini, uh, Tony Evans was about, we had a lot of perms, there was a lot of air going yeah. on back in the late <laughs> 70s at Birmingham and Alberto <laughs> had this wonderful mass of air and there was a lovely picture of him and his wife um, and she'd just given birth to uh, right. a child whilst, uh, whilst he was playing in Birmingham so um, one of his kids is definitely English. And that was, 12. I wonder if he's any good at football. I wonder if Gareth yeah. could, could call him <laughs> up. Mind you, he doesn't need another right back. Let's be honest, he's got an abundance of them, hasn't he, Gareth? Yeah. And he can play yeah, 26 yeah. players, or oh, not all at the same time, but he can choose yeah. to take 26 players. And Gareth does like a right back, so I'm guessing that's probably where the extra three will come from. And, uh, yeah,
1: no, I'll be interesting about that one, though. So, uh, yeah. it was certainly dogged by allegations of bribery, wasn't it? And, oh, absolutely. Uh, about drug tests and what have you. So uh, uh but the writer the, the the author of that book that comes out is Reese Richards. Uh, I know he's um he's uh, been published in the likes of The Guardian. I know he's done he's written for these Football Times and The Football Pink as well, if you're aware of um yeah, uh, and yes, the Football do, yeah. History Boys. Yeah, yeah and the Football History Boys as well, who have done their own separate books as well. So yeah, it'll be an interesting book again. Um there's yeah, as we've talked in this podcast, there's a great theme around the World Cup at the moment, isn't there? So uh, another book.
0: Another book yeah. about the World Cup. Chris Evans, not the DJ Chris Evans, but the journalist Chris Evans, How to yeah. Win the World Cup. It's out on the twenty first yeah. of July, so a little bit later this year. How to win the World Cup. I wonder if you'll send one to Gareth. <laughs>
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, he he actually features on the front of the book, which is interesting. Oh, okay. Uh, it's got him pointing out, but I think um, that's got. Um, uh, I've been in, he's been in touch with me actually, Chris Evans. So I'm awaiting a copy of that book, which is uh, I'm looking forward to, and it. it comes out in a couple of weeks' time. Uh, at the back end, is it's coming How out. How many Bloom's books
0: 3. do you get
1: sent? Oh, good question. Mm. So, well, this week um, I've been sent by. In fact, I've got it here in front of me. Uh, this was a book that's been sent through the Fields of Wonder uh, by the incredible story of Northern Ireland's journey in 1982 World Cup, um, which has come to me via black and white publishing, I think it is. But in answer to your question, I thought, well, sorry, it's Blackstaff black Staff Press. Sorry, to get that right. That's who the publishers are of that particular book. I probably get, uh, at the moment, I probably get one, two books maybe sent to me a week. And uh, I can't read that quick, even though I love my football books, but it differs really. Some weeks I'll get quite a few books. Um, I might be getting um, a few that are sent to me in one go, and I'll do feature articles. So, for, yeah. for example, Pitch might send me four in one go, and I'll, um, but yeah, over a month, probably, yeah, one or two months. So So, uh, my, uh, By my the room might. Yes, Yes. yeah, quite often find it, but but occasionally through the authors as well, directly. So especially if it's independently uh, published, Mm. uh, I get their books sent to me as well. But uh, yeah, but if so, if you ask my wife, it's obviously far too much and uh, I don't know where we're going to put them all. So uh, yeah, I've got to get another bookcase uh, or another house to uh, put another all another books in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, that's, yeah, that's... Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's
0: I, of I, I haven't got either. Well, I, mean, I have got a wife, but at the moment she's in Bournemouth, so I can do what the hell I like. I have no bookcase or bookshelves because she won't allow me to. I've got my right. books in Tom's room in a big hole in the wall, and I've got um, some <laughs> of my books in a little cabinet down. Stairs which I've rebelliously opened, and I'm I'm now looking at it because she isn't here. But no, I can't yeah. um, I can't have any bookshelves. So I, I, I,
1: must, I must I must say it's been a great flip side for me. Obviously, I love my football books, and obviously, it was never my intention when I did the the, the website it was mm. to recommend books. Um, but I actually I, I suppose I never realised how many. Well, oh, I had a the feeling there's a lot of people out there who read football books as well. So yeah. when I did the, for example, the Twitter page, which is probably where I got most of my uh, interaction, you know, I, you know, I, started, I don't know, I wasn't really bothered about how many followers I got, whether I'm hmm. one or ten or hundred. but I now got over seven and a half thousand followers. Wow!
0: Um, because Emily of that, abuse. <laughs> <yeah. laughs> well,
1: thankfully no, only a like, couple. It's all I
0: get on yeah. Twitter is abuse. I mean, I've never <laughs> had a book sent to me from the publisher apart from David Lane. Legends Publishing. Yeah. Uh, David yeah. has sent me a number of books. Uh, Roy Cavanaugh, yeah. Colin Abbott, um, Paul Whittle. Yeah. We've um, we yeah. have had a number of books uh, sent to me from the uh, yeah. from the writers. But pitch, uh, they don't even answer my texts.
1: <laughs> right, <Yeah. laughs> I see. I'll have to get you in touch with them. So uh, yeah. yeah, I think through the through the time, the amount of books to have so uh, I like to think they've helped in some way promote the. Uh, football books in. Because I'm a big. I've always, I think I've said this before. Not just reading. I obviously my my chosen subject is football, but I yeah. do believe reading is a very. It's. Yeah, <laughs> I'm talking to. I'm still got to convert yourself into reading, but uh, I think reading is uh, is yeah, it's an important um, bit and it helps you learn. Of course, uh, you do it obviously differently for the podcast as well, but yes. reading football books builds up your knowledge, etc. So, but yeah. So what I was just going to then is I've been quite lucky really that uh, because. I do uh, the website and uh, the Twitter and Facebook, etc. People send me books so I can promote their books and then I get a book, yeah. <laughs> so, which I necessarily... I do purchase books, to be, to be clear, as well, my own yeah. uh, myself, but it obviously helps if someone sends it to me. Yeah, absolutely. We'll give them,
0: what, yeah. We'll, what we'll do now, we're going to yeah. be ruthless unless you send us a book, we ain't going to give <laughs> you a mention. So the next podcast could be yeah. about 20 minutes.
1: <laughs> yeah, it could be. So, so, but it, it's, what is timing it's kind of quite neat, not, uh, neatly, and definitely, because I've been reading for years and years and years, there's no doubt the, the quality of books uh, and the range of stories Just gone up and up And yeah. up and up And, 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 and I don't know and I think it might be linked to, I don't know if it is linked to COVID I sometimes think about it. Yeah But the quality be. of the books Especially, especially Pitch they, uh, mm. they produce really good quality books And um, you mentioned Dave Lane Legends isn't it so, Yeah brilliant uh, good they produce books. books. Brilliant books And uh, mm. I can under, I do understand what you mean In terms of the, the look quality Don't they Yeah they really Look quality Because I have friends That come round And they look at the book And go wow look at that It's amazing Yeah so, uh, but uh, yeah, they do. Yeah, for me, they're almost like ornaments sometimes, aren't they? They look really good.
0: Yeah, I'm looking at this table. book here with Aston Villa, the big mm. Aston Villa book of the 70s. Uh, Gideon yeah. and Andy. Uh, there's a picture of Villa. Obviously, it's 1977 because they've got the League Cup. Mm. And uh, Brian Little and Andy Gray are in the team, so it isn't 1975, it's 77. Yeah. And then a uh, picture of the greats. Uh, Andy Lockhead there. Looks like Ian Ross who's just pulling the trigger. Former Liverpool uh, player. Yep. But um, is it? Villa players. Oh, beg your pardon. It's Jeff Owden. That ain't Jeff Owden, is it? Andy Lockhead? Right. No. Oh, no. Yep. the picture up there. No, it's not. Um, no, it doesn't say who. Those are on the front, but um, no, there's a picture of the Aston Villa team, and it is a fantastic book, copyright 2016, so this book's been out for some time, but it goes all through Aston Villa of the 70s, all the games that they played in the 70s, it then goes on about the players that played Mm. in the 70s. appearances and the programs, the pre-season friendlies. Oh, It's a fantastic... Colin Colin Abbott, mate of mine, is a fantastic yeah. writer. And this is the kind of book that I want for Legends of the 70s. Or yeah. certainly, I'd like to do one of the Legends of the 70s with a podcast I do. I'd also like yeah. to do one, England's 100 Games of the 70s. the complete record mm. of England in the 70s. All the line-ups of the... Under twenty ones, the under twenty threes that started. I think the last game of under twenty threes in the seventies was nineteen seventy six, and mm. then I think seventy seven they started the twenty ones.
1: Yeah,
0: I think there was thirty he... thirty five games of under twenty threes.
1: Yeah, played... no, he's a great
0: he's a great runner, is he? Sorry, I'm mm. interrupting mean, you. Now, no, he but... played ten, but he had yep. two abandoned, so strictly speaking, he, he played um, eight games for the under twenty three. So I've got all the records. And I also like I like the recorded books and when I say that, like the recorded mm. moments like like for instance, instead of like reading mm. which the cool kids and all the you know, of the European Cups and that, but I like to see like who won it in nineteen, say, seventy 69, yeah, 70, yeah. 70, who the goal yeah. scorers. And, and just yeah. that, that factual information uh, yeah, of yeah. it and, and perhaps a story by a player. So yeah. um, it, it's something that it's a project that I am working on and that I could do with right. a lot of help. But I have got a lot of books. I mean, I could pass you the books on, so you could read them.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the way. Yeah. yeah,
0: I'm going to see fucking drag grub Carlos into uh, into that because he's really game. he's really good at writing, and I'm not. Yeah. I'm I'm not too bad at talking. I know a lot of players, so I could just say, "Yeah, here's the phone number. Talk to Alan Newton, yeah. and then just write the book, <laughs> and I do yeah. nothing." Yeah.
1: yeah. There's talented people out there, and there's uh, some yeah. of the best some of the best autobiographies yeah. of uh, footballers. Uh, of obviously, they uh, it always you kind of think that it's brilliant because the uh, obviously, well, people are not that naive to think footballers are great writers, but football autobiographies yeah. are made great because of great writers. Absolutely, uh, and uh, they really bring it to life. So uh, what could be a relatively main, mundane kind of career is made to sound incredible. Well, they normally are incredible as well, but, uh, yeah, if you get a good writer, it really can uh, transform the pages.
0: Mind you, the working, say, man's ballet, the working Man's Ballet, Alan, Ugg, mm, book. Alan Yeah, Alan wrote that all on his own.
1: Yeah, yeah, there is exceptions, of course.
0: Yeah, Ugg, does write all his own books.
1: Yeah, you know? yeah, absolutely.
0: He gave it to but, one of his Cypriot mates and says, Alan, my English is better than yours. <laughs>
1: Excellent. <laughs> but no... Yeah. I'll, I'll I'll link there to Aston Villa you're referring to. There's a couple of options. One coming out next month in August. Um, there's Aston Villa the complete record, which is coming out by guys called Rob Bishop and Frank Holt. I oh,
0: know Rob. Uh, Good
1: lad. Yeah, mm. yeah. So uh, he's a for, he's a former editor uh, of the Villa News and Record. Yeah, the program. Day magazine. Yeah, that's yeah, it. it, was, it. Yeah, so uh, yeah, so that's contained in. Um, so it's, it's going, since their formation in eighteen. Seventy-four. Absolutely correct. Like that. Is I that right? Yeah. Goodness were knows, that? I remember that. Four. But anyway, but I do. So under yeah, that goes through the gaslit Land in,
0: uh, yeah, in that's Aston. That's it.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, so yeah, but that book's coming out next one. So, so it's an encyclopaedia of uh, everything to do with Aston Villa. Um, and uh, yeah so obviously it includes European Cup in 1982 but uh, it includes sorry let's look at it includes the profiles of more than 150 of Villa's leading players and a spotlight of the club's uh, managers uh, from Jimmy McMullen to Dean Smith uh, and a selection of matches to remember so that would be interesting and the player uh, that's coming out in September uh, even just with the Villa connection um, there's a book coming out in September and uh, yeah you guessed it it's coming out with pitch is the the full Morty? So Dennis Mortimer.
0: How did you uh,
1: know that? Ah, How so he's not even mentioned.
0: Yeah, was yeah. <laughs> How did yeah, you get but... that? Did Richard tell
1: you? Uh, no, I just know a, the I just saw the book that's coming out. No, I um I looked on pitch's um website. I'm oh, picture uh, promoting
0: yeah. it now, are they?
1: Yeah, so yeah, 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 yeah that's absolutely. Okay. I, I did ask,
0: I asked Richard if um, mm. if I could give it a shout. So he, he done the um he will kill me there's um
1: richard sideman
0: yeah richard sidman, yeah, yeah
1: yeah sideman uh, sorry he did uh ticket to the moon that's it ticket
0: to the moon yeah. e- ELO song and yeah. I, i've done a podcast which is on all the uh, social media platforms etc and yeah. uh, all the uh podcast platforms as well ticket to the moon richard Sideman, great book great writer good lad he, yeah. he hosts a few events as well at the uh, the sports bar at Wollaston. do you know who gave yeah. him that uh, that title? Because I've done a number of pods with Dennis. Dennis Mortimer is a great lad. And, I don't know.
1: Uh,
0: yeah, it was no. Andy Blair.
1: Oh, is it? Yeah, right. Andy, okay.
0: Andy Blair yeah. gave him uh, that the, f- the full mortar. What a great, yeah. what a great title! And there's another brilliant title. I love this as well. hoop. the uh, left cover yeah. story, rog, uh, yeah. Robert Endecott. Yeah, Robert
1: yeah, Endercott and it.
0: Dave Cocker, his nipper, have,
1: uh, yeah. have have worked on that one. Yeah, yeah. The full yeah, comes... is going to be a great book. Yeah, absolutely, Denny absolutely is a great lad. Yeah, that comes out in a couple of months time. Yeah, in September. So that's yeah, that's how I know about it. So it's published, i'm uh, sorry, promoted obviously on Pitcher's website. So uh, I think what's really good, if you, uh, I think you've mentioned it before as well. If you ever want to see what books are coming up, uh, if you ever buy in a magazine, the when Saturday comes, yes, they have uh, on the back of a uh, magazine. Yeah. I've got it here next to me. They always have on the back of it. Um, uh, pitch will have a, a, a um, uh promote all their books with an image of everything that's coming out as well. So it's all a Is that good on lot there as well?
0: Is the full Morty on that? Uh,
1: I've got it here because I haven't got the
0: the world. Uh, I mean, world soccer. Um, yeah, I, I get four, four. Do you know what? Buy the magazines. I never read them.
1: <laughs> and a, oh, no. So I get
0: oh, oh blime, it's another month it's another month and the books just fly off and I never the, well the magazines I never
1: read them yeah, but yeah.
0: I, I no, have not
1: got, got, got it the, on. the re- most recent ones no it's it's not uh, it's not got it on here I think no. this uh, looking at the back it looks more recent around May June and maybe July it's got yeah. Les Cocker Hoop on the back but uh, yeah I think you'll probably be on the next one on next month's uh, um, when Saturday comes yeah fabulous. so uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, great books, uh, great books um, from Pitch. So, and can I can I link that to another one then? Actually, on the Pitch, as we're talking event?
0: You can uh, link. think you
1: like. <laughs> so I've sent. Um, uh, it's called. I think I might eventually out to our last broadcast. But it's brawls, bribes, and broken dreams. It's how Dundee yes. almost won the European Cup. So it's written by Graham Strachan. Uh, it's written, uh, sorry, forward by the great Patrick Barkley. Yeah. Uh, and it's, uh, yeah, it's when they uh, Dundee were the punch-drunk underdogs when they chased European cup glory after winning the league in 1962. Uh, AC Milan, Benfica and Real Madrid were at the peak of their powers. Uh, and Ipswich, Ipswich would represent England after they um, won the league under Ralph Ramsey. Uh, and, yeah, Dundee were about to enter a new world of glamour. So it talks about how, yeah... It's just one of these remarkable again I use the phrase Cinderella story. Uh and uh yeah. Again one that's just yeah, a great read, certainly for um uh, fans of um bit nostalgia, let's say. Uh and who would have thought Dundee would have got that close?
0: Gilly, um, Gilly would have played for them in them days, wouldn't
1: he? Yes, yeah. Alan Gilzine. Yeah. yeah he and did, Paddy yeah.
0: Barkley he's a big Dundee supporter. Uh, Dens Massive. Park, isn't it? Uh, Dundee. Yeah. And then you got Dice yeah. over the road at Dundee? Literally, literally over the road at Dundee. You know.
1: Literally. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Literally around a corner, isn't it? So. Mm. Uh, but yeah, that's come that come out. Uh, it's a couple of months now. Back in May, that come out. So. Uh, um, yeah, another interesting story out from then I'm looking at um, another
0: book. I'm just to interrupt you there briefly. Yeah. Really. yeah? Uh, so Matt Busby, the man who made a football club, uh, Paddy Barclay. Yeah. Yeah, uh, his book. Yeah. So that's uh, jumping out. Just dropped it as well. But there you go, I'm trying to jump
1: down I'm,
0: to, I'm, <laughs> to multitask. I'm so glad that's a paperback. <laughs> yeah. But what a great writer Paddy Barclay is his knowledge. Yeah. All these yeah. writers, they're just so cool, so intelligent, so knowledgeable. Yeah. Makes you yeah. sick, doesn't it?
1: <laughs> yeah. He does. He's wrote some great books, uh, not just about Busby. He did one on the last times I heard yeah. Chapman. I remember yeah, I've as, got well that as well reading that. I've got I've, that
0: yeah. book. not read it. Yeah.
1: I've got it. No. Nope. <laughs> great front cover on there. Oh, I've uh, the front covers of all my books. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll have to look inside from time uh-huh. to time, you know. But anyway, uh, so yeah, it's a great great one that about Herbert Chapman. So he was the Obviously, the boss of the old Concrete Arsenal team, wasn't it? 1930s, before that, Huddersfield.
0: Another book, Eddie Hapgood, uh, by his his daughter. Eddie played in that team, didn't he? The uh, 30s at Arsenal.
1: Yeah, yeah. I've not read that book, I must admit, myself, but I've seen it, yeah. I haven't
0: Um, got it, neither, I have to say.
1: Yeah, so his daughter, Lynn Hapgood, off my top of my head memory, I think it is. um,
0: Her name's certainly um,
1: Hapgood. Yeah, yes, no, good. yeah, that's correct.
0: <laughs> well, you would, wouldn't you? I mean, even if you got married, you would just keep that name because, yeah, like, name. you know, if your dad's a legend like that, you, you don't want to lose that name, do you? But, yeah,
1: you know, We did yeah.
0: talk about Johan yeah, Cruyff earlier. There's a, another book, Always on the Attack, by uh, Uki Kok.
1: Yeah, yeah. I
0: don't know how you say it, but it's K-O-K. Archer. K-
1: k- yeah. Yeah, that came out uh, again. I think it was a couple of months ago. I think it was, wasn't it? How so do
0: you
1: uh, create, always on you the fellow's name, start. Andy? I, I'm going to go with yeah. uh, have a or Cock, One of them. So, cock, uh, K-O-K K-O-K Yeah, cock. I think it is. Yeah, mm. I know he's a very well known, um, very uh, established football writer. Yeah. Obviously from from the Netherlands. Mm. So, uh, but it's not a book I've come across. But it's I know this. I've seen great reviews of it. Uh, sorry, it's a book I have come across, but yeah. I haven't read it myself. But I've no, seen exactly. lots of. Great reviews about it. So, uh, yeah.
0: Because Joanne's got uh, another book in the um, My Turn, his autobiography.
1: Yeah, There's I enjoyed that from, myself.
0: Yeah, yeah. i as well. i already read it twice. I have read it once yet. I've got it again. I've got it. I'm looking at it there. I've got there <laughs> Rob Steen, the Mavericks on top, different class. Uh, yep. Laurie Cunningham, Diego Maradona, Pele, the double team from Tottenham. Stan Bowles Di Stefano Pelly Billy Wright Pixie Dean I'm going through yeah. all my books there I ain't read none of them <laughs> but <laughs> it's I did, a great, re- great I did play, read though. yeah I did read The Hungarians That I thought that was a great book I think that's yeah. last like book I read about two years ago it's your fault you have been phoning me up <laughs> I'm to make a podcast. <laughs>
1: there's too many books out there I must say there is um, fabulous
0: um, yeah. seriously though on a serious note you are spoiled mm. spoilt for choice, aren't you? I look at it and I think, what book shall I read next? Steve Perryman's book, what a book that is. It's not yeah. just a book. It's a work of art. And I yeah. just look and I just think, where, where do I start? I just have, yeah. I must have, I don't know, hundreds of books. And I just don't know where to start. And then I want to yeah. do a podcast. So I start researching. I'm doing another podcast with Keith about Birmingham City and Aston Villa. He scored the winning right. goal when Blues beat Villa first of October nineteen seventy seven. And he thought, Well, I'll just go out on the pitch and just see what it's like. He said I walked out and there's about five hundred fans on the pitch fighting. He said, I thought they this a bit serious. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Excellent. Yeah. yeah. Um
1: another book I'll mention which mm-hmm. came out um and I was sent a copy, um, it came out through I think it's more self published for Tone mm. Red days, but it's a book on, on Warsaw's greatest. Yes. Uh Tony Richards, yeah. Mm. Um and the Saddler's Glory Years. So it's um written by Gary Richards. Uh I'm pretty it must be related. I think it might be his son. I've been meaning to check actually. Okay. So uh, yeah, but it's really is the um yeah, the Saddler's Glory years the days when Warsaw Football Club, not Manchester City, uh were <laughs> Liverpool's league rivals. Uh, and it talks about at the end of the 1953-54 season, right. Walsall, Walsall finished bottom of the third division south. And they actually applied for re-election to the Football League for the third consecutive year. And five, five months or so later, the manager, Frank Buckley, offered, uh, he was 20-year-old at the time, Tony Richards, a four-week trial. And it just takes you from there, really. So right. from in free season though, the club went from playing uh fourth division league match in front of just over 2,000 people at Gateshead to face in Liverpool, but Anfield in front of 40 odd thousands in the second division. So, um, yeah, it's, got, it's, it's it's an interesting book and it's testimony from um, Warsaw players as well. So, uh, um, but yeah, he was, it, you know, they've let back on of the legend's thrown about quite a lot, but um, he's um, certainly in Warsaw terms, he's without question a Sadler's legend. So, yeah, a really well presented book as well. So, uh, great. Um, cover the pictures are black and white, but you've got him. Uh, sorry, Tony Richards. It's black and white apart from his shirt, which is in red. It really sh- stands out. So uh, you know, again, looks like looks really you know eye catching. Uh, and if you can get it right as well on the book, it makes you want to read it, doesn't it? So uh, and it's got lots of great reviews on the back of it as well, including the uh, the Express and Star. Yeah. Uh,
0: like so.
1: -hmm. Yeah, that's it. So I don't think it's available um, publicly. I'm pretty sure it's not on Amazon or anything like that. But it's available through the Warsaw FC's online store. Um, So uh, unless that's the plan initially, sometimes they do that. They want to get it promoted locally, you know, through the football club. So there's almost exclusivity.
0: Unusual that football clubs do that because most football Mm. clubs don't want to know about those books because they're not earning dough from it. It's, well, uh, that's interesting. good point. Mm. Yeah,
1: it's a good point you say about, and I find I, you, you're absolutely spot on there. And I think you find probably with the sm- yeah, smaller clubs further down. They do maybe. Yeah. Cause I don't know. Um, there's um, like Wimbledon, AFC Wimbledon. They've done similar uh, books, and again, it's promoted through the club. Uh, but yeah, like Manchester City, that books are just not. They're not going to create the money, are they? <laughs> <No>. <laughs> when they uh, they just run about creating the fifth different shirt. They've had it in Absolutely. two seasons, That's whatever. What
0: so, yeah, <laughs> in another I mean, strange colour. You know, in a, in a, in a sad way that it is. I mean, I remember when I used to go on local radio, and Malcolm Boyden, uh, the mm. the host, he he was um, he just wrote his book. Brum's the word. Birmingham City wouldn't have it in the shop. There was mm. a piece that Carl Chin had wrote about Doug that wasn't particularly nice. But Villa were yeah. the only club. They uh, allowed uh, Malcolm to put his book in their club shop and sell it from yeah. there. Karen Brady said, "We ain't having it in there because if someone's coming in with a tenner, we want that to go into our till, not anybody else's." And I do think that's not, a, you know, a slant, at Karen. That's the way yeah. that most people in football look at yeah. it. They want everything yeah. in their pockets and, and well done Warsaw Walsall football clubs do that. When you say Frank Buckley, is that Major Buckley, the legendary Major Buckley? I'm sure uh, it was a Walsall yeah, yeah, Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, I'm pretty sure it is. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, uh, but yeah, um, that's another book. A couple of us, I'll give a shout out as we're talking. Um is that it came around about the same time. Um, there was one that's come out from uh, because the Times did quite well with the Women's European Championships yep. kicking off last night at mm-hmm. uh, Old Trafford with England. is unsuitable. It's called unsuitable for females, it's about the rise of the lionesses and women, women's football in England. It's written by uh, Carrie Dunn, uh, who is arguably um, one of the great writers, certainly on women's football. Uh, she's written a number of books and uh, people have written. But uh, uh yeah, if you go on amazon you know the the one of these that really sticks out, kind of things, so but uh, it's all about um yeah the the history you know throughout the the years, and obviously, when in nineteen twenty one the f a introduced a ban yes yeah uh, on women's football, so that's mm. where the title comes from, unsuitable females, and obviously that stayed in place for what fifty odd years um yeah, did, and yeah. uh and then it changed, and women's football one well, of. It was difficult to ever match the man's game. It's certainly got um, more popular, hasn't it, uh, over the years. So, uh, but this book tells the story of women's football in England since the 19th century inception through uh, portraits, pen portraits of its uh, trailblazers,
0: uh, yeah. legends
1: of the game. Yeah. One,
0: of, one of the biggest trailblazers in women's football is the um, northern last nine, Lily Parr. Yeah, yeah, one of, one of the greats and uh, player that plays the Dick Kerr Ladies, who
1: That's it.
0: who you could argue you were the greatest female side ever to play football, and they used to play. Um, they were there in ammunitions uh, company, yeah. and they they played pretty much to raise money for the war effort, and they then did. after they they got banned, women's football got banned from every uh, yeah. FA affiliated football ground in the country. So yeah, uh, that was yeah. nice for the war effort that all the money that they raised. They got banned, but but they're now they're it. not, and rightly so. And you know what I don't like with women's football is the comparison to men's football, and I do yeah, see a uh, lot of oh, articles saying that um, uh, Ellen White, if she scores X amount of goals, beats Wayne Rooney's fifty-three. And I'm like, come on, give your heads a wobble. The women's game is a women's game and it's great. I watched them yeah. last night. I didn't think they played that well, but I'm a mm. big fan of Ella Toon. I think she's fantastic. Um, yep. Lauren um, Hemp, I think she's a player. I think yep. that we've got, I like Akira Walsh that plays midfield. I think that yep. we've got some fabulous players, such yeah. great composure on the ball um Absolutely.
2: Georgia Stanway, I
0: thought she looks a player. You know, I think we've got some really, really, and I used to be the stadium announcer at Birmingham City Ladies many years ago. Oh, good you? Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Right. I used to, uh, I used to do that Up with well Marcus. That. Marcus, big Nutton Going back to the problem that Marcus has had, I'd run through a brick wall right. for Marcus. What a great lad! And uh, and all my friends there at Birmingham City Ladies, we had a great time, and I've never yeah. met so many wonderful people. And um, yeah. yeah, so I've got a lot of time for women's football, but I just do wish that they would focus on their game. And it, and it isn't the women, it's, it's the clever or the people, the young'uns that write these journalists and they're looking for stories and they're trying to get the comparison stories. And I don't think it does their game any favours.
1: Yeah, the, 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 the women's football not asked for these uh, a lot of these comparisons. It's unfair. I don't know yeah. why these. I no. think there's still a this little bit of a stigma, isn't it? I don't know if it even goes back to those fifty years that it was banned. But you don't get the same kind of comparison, let's like, say in tennis, do you? So uh, no, you where know, women would have been at the moment, you don't 100%. necessarily say uh, Djokovic is better than Serena Williams. It's just looked differently. It's too because the way they're. Women the built and men are built. It's just—it's never going to be the same. So I don't understand football, why they do that. They definitely—you're spot on what you say there. So I think but they're it just trying the
0: to talk up the game, and money's been yeah. put into the game, and it's great. And you know, I do yeah. like to watch them play. I mean, I've got it on now. Norway a smashing uh, Northern Ireland three 0 I'm not yeah. sure where the game's played, but there's not many fans inside the ground. So women's yeah. football, apart from England and some of the bigger teams in their own nations,
2: you know, yeah. can't
0: command the same amount of fans as the men's game. But what you've got to do is look at it. The Women's game's a women's game. The men's yeah. game is completely different. My lads played against England in 2005 when they were right. preparing for the Euros that was in England in 2005 and mm. um, it was the Floodlick team, the under-18s. Yeah. And a lot of my players played in that game. And they come yeah. off and they say, Blimey, they're not physical. And and yeah. truthfully, if it weren't for a couple of the lads that were a, a bit strong and pacey, they'd have yeah. probably got a draw out of that game. But women, their game is based on different skills to the men. Yeah. And let's just leave yeah, it. Let's appreciate it. Let's enjoy and love both games, and yeah. let, let's not compare.
1: So, and I tell you what stands out for me just on that point as well. I, I, I went to uh, my daughter. Um, she loves a football, so uh, and she's only eight. Kind of, she loves great football picture, as well. Right, and I wanted, so, yeah, I, I love it when she's she's involved in football. We went to see a Nottingham forest Forest Ladies against Derby County, yeah. and it was good. Really, really quick, really quick as well, and it's yeah, cracking football. Some of them, there's no doubt. Uh, many of those players uh, are better than in the men's, you know, lower leagues. I mean, you know, Sunday league. You know, to I mean. again, yes, I'm, I don't want to. Go, I'm always, I'm always doing the comparison thing, which you shouldn't do because we've just been talking about. That, but they're good in their own right, and uh, yeah, they're obviously just. It's diff- it's a different game, isn't it? But it's good. It's good to watch. There's yeah.
0: there's a uh, lot of skill. You know, and yes. I think it's people that don't watch the women's game that don't understand how skillful it is. But I've been watching yeah. it. I mean, I haven't watched it much recently, I'll be honest. But, um, yeah. but when I was involved, I watched an awful lot and I was surprised how really skillful some of the players are. And, yeah. and I don't compare, but what I used to say is, if a ball was falling into the penalty area in, mm. for Birmingham City, I'd rather yeah. it fall to the feet of Karen Carney than Nikola yeah. Nigic Because <laughs> technically, she's yeah. a better player than him. Yeah, Technically, yeah, right. it's completely yeah, it. different, but the technical, the skill aspect of it, yeah. you look at them and you just think, that Kira Walsh, she's a player. Mm. Yeah. I really think she can be developed. Um yeah. I thought that she awesome. was just a little bit edgy last night, but I would just say to her, keep playing that ball forward and getting up and support <laughs> that second ball, because yeah. I think there's a real player. And to be fair... I'd rather watch Keira Walsh than Declan Rice.
1: Yeah, I'm not saying yeah. she's
0: a better player, and if yeah, you put yeah. her in the men's team, she'd be better. But I technically, I would prefer to watch her. I think she's more of an artist than he is. Yeah,
1: yeah. And that's yeah, how I compare,
0: not like for like.
1: Yeah, agreed. Uh, and what I would do is just link it onto that, as we're talking about women, women's football related as well. Uh, the well, women's writing, let's say, of football, because that book I was referring to was written by Carrie Dunn, a great um, female uh, football writer, there was another book that did come out uh, again last month, maybe May actually, and it's called The Year of the Robin. I was sent a copy by a lady called Jen Offord, uh, and she's a, a massive Charlton fan, so uh, it writes about her love for uh, what. Well, it's the subtitle watching it all go wrong for Charlton Athletic and the world. So uh, uh, and um, yeah, and again, I've seen great reviews of the book. So, uh, but it's about uh, for now. What well, like she says on the back? She says, for now and uh, for now at least, the club that we love and I hope one day my child will love too, had averted disaster. Life as a charter fan could be pretty miserable sometimes. We can all. Um, think of our clubs in that way mm. um, but we always seemed to come through when it mattered and on this occasion like the playoff final of the year before we had something snatched from vit- uh, snatched victory from the jaws of defeat rather than vice versa but it's um, yeah by a lady called Jen Orford uh, so uh, it's a book I've not got round to re- reading, but I wanted to give that a shout out as well so lovely looking book through uh, another good publisher called Icon Books as well so yeah that's called The Year of Year uh, the Robin uh, and certainly one that Charlton uh, Athletic fans are. and what I've just mentioned actually because we'll talk about Warsaw won't we and how they promote that book Charlton Athletic have very much promoted that book I'm just referred to as well on both on their on their, uh, online but also the, uh, on their Twitter page you know on their main page they shared about it which is great to see as well so uh, while yeah, we're, while we're still
0: talking you know mm? in, the, in the women's field yeah. Wasn't that a nice-looking referee last night?
1: Yes. Nice-looking yes, yes.
0: bird. I mean, yeah. we, we can get our own back now where the girls use, oh, look at David Beckham and he got nice legs.
1: <laughs> well, we say that about the
0: girls and we're old, sexy grandads, are You know, but yeah. that's what they've been doing for years. So it's quite nice to look at footballers and fancy them rather than <laughs> other things about yeah. them. <laughs> yeah, absolutely.
1: Yeah.
0: Absolutely. So, um... Go on, Tony. No, go on. What else have you got? Because I've gone all through my,
1: my okay.
0: books. Okay. Yeah, I've done. Well, I've,
1: I've done. Yeah, I'd like to just give a shout out to a few others then. So, uh, going back to where he was saying books have been sent. Um, one that's um, is growing in terms of the number of books they do produce is Morgan Lawrence uh, Publishing yeah. Services. There's a guy there called uh, Matthew that sends me any book that comes out of him. Um, there's man. a book that Matthew Mann, that's yeah. it. You've got it, yeah. So a couple of books he sent to me. One very much for Arsenal fans. It's called the 100 Club, and it's every goal from Arsenal's greatest ever scorers um, by Nick Brown. It's got a forward by Alan Smith, yeah, uh, and uh, yeah, it includes the likes of Thierry Henry, uh, Ian Wright. So you, you more uh, recent ones, but it it then goes back to Cliff Baston, uh, and then you've got Dennis Bergkamp. Well, you've got a, a mixture of them really. Yeah. So. Uh, uh but a great one for Arsenal fans there. Uh and many of the stories from the hybrid days um prior to Emmett Stadium. Uh, and also a one that came out very recently is uh The Reality of the Dream, which is Malcolm Christie. Yes. Uh the introductions written by Gareth Southgate. Um, but it's about his unique journey from non-league to uh, the Premier League. So um, so Malcolm Christie grew up dreaming of being a professional footballer, as we all do, mm. uh, but he actually made it. So uh, he it was basically just months from stacking shelves, literally stacking shelves, he was playing for Derby County in the Premier League. Um, so uh, it just chronicles this yeah, an amazing story, really. He became the thir- the only person in history to go straight from non-league uh, to scoring in the Premier League and representing his country without ever joining a professional academy, so uh, it's it's um, a really interesting kind of story, and it's uh, sad, funny, and often emotional. Uh, it's a unique tale. So, but that's what it says in here, yeah. It's, um, Gary um uh, must have had
0: a, deal, a similar journey, you know. Okay, yeah, Premier, I know, Premier I, League, I, I get that. that. But Gary mm. didn't Gary play for Long Eaton, and he won at Forest Long, and then he played in the. Um, the game, European Cup game against Liverpool. I think that was his debut and he scored, didn't he? So I, I think I Gary wonder, might have been similar.
1: Yeah, I wonder if the difference is... I'm not sure... Did Gary Bertels play in any kind of academy or anything I think like the that? Difference I, is, I think
0: the difference is mm. this is the Premier League and before yeah. the Premier League with the Football League, they forget all about oh, their stories. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean?
1: yeah, yeah. I, I think that
0: probably happens. I think that... You know, it's a great story. It's a great journey. Yeah. But I don't think yeah. it's pretty... I mean, it might be unique in terms of Premier League. But, um, yeah. got a, yeah. I mean, Good. got an idea. Good. I mean, OK. Um, Jamie Vardy was at Fleetwood, wasn't he? And But he was going to go yeah. and uh, be, uh, be a holiday rep, wasn't he? And, and then decided yeah. that he was going to stay at Manchester. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, so, he
1: definitely... Going back to Gary Doodles, I know, that he definitely started at Long Eaton, yeah. didn't
0: he? Yeah, he did, yeah. Yeah.
1: Mm. Yeah, 100%. So, because uh, I think for, uh, Forrest signed for him, it was a, it was something like £2,000, wasn't it? Something it was like something that.
0: ridiculous because Cluffy had yeah. done something similar with Nigel Jempson. Didn't his news yeah. agent say, go and have a look at this lad, Jempson? Yeah. And then Cluffy said, yeah. oh, well, go and have a look at him. Say, <laughs> and, him. and Cluffy would do that because yeah. if Cl- if somebody told Brian of a player, he would go and have a look at him. whereas, yeah. like, you know, Alan Hudson's dad uh told yeah. Bobby Robson about uh, Ian Hutchinson. He'd he wanted yeah. him play against um Alan's uh, Alan's brother, John. And yeah. um, he was playing for um Burton um yeah. Hutch, and uh, Bobby Robson didn't take any notice and um, yeah. then eventually Hutch signed for uh, for Chelsea. But there there are some managers that would listen and go and watch, Cluffy prime example. And others, yeah. that, that that wouldn't. But, you know, we're all yeah. different and managements are different. But, yeah, I think yeah. we might find that Gary's, um, Gary's journey was very similar to, um, yeah. to Malcolm's. A
1: bit Bob of a research. Yeah, research out there for listeners. So we uh, look into that as well. But, all
0: uh, all I story. Yeah, I could do a, a Legends of the 70s with Gary Birtles and I've got John McGovern's number and I could ask <laughs> Gary... <laughs>
1: Yeah, that's it, absolutely. And the last book I want to give a shout out. Yep. So this was uh, independently published. This uh, author has also had books through Pitch Publishing as well. It's called Jim. The um, name is Jim Keown. He's a massive Everton fan. Uh, he wrote a number of great. Oh, great one of the great books of, well, a couple of years back now, "How to Run a Football Club," uh, but he's written loads of Everton stuff as well. But this particular book was. It's an updated. Um, Version of a book he'd done before. It's is called Post-Punk Football, and what Jim is, uh, what it's written about, is very much about the state of football, uh, how it's changed in modern football. You will be definitely nodding away as you read this book. So it's basically the rise uh, of supporter power. Uh, sorry, the rise of the you know the big clubs uh, and uh, yeah how the games change and what have you. But what it does link, uh, what refer to, is the but like, sort of like the FC United of Manchester uh, and FC Wimbledon have been, you know, formed through support groups, etc. Mm. Trying to, um, yeah, be, dif- yeah, do something different really to the uh, global
0: yeah, quite,
3: dominance. I
1: quite,
0: yeah, yep. I quite like the um, mm. the football club talking to the fans, engaging yeah, yeah. with the fans. Um, yeah, um, I used to be of the opinion that, yeah. Football, like, fan ownership with football clubs is great. But the more that I've got involved in football, the more that I've seen of Birmingham City and our supporters, if I owned the football club, I would speak to a number of them and I'd I'd ignore the majority.
1: Yeah, yeah. Because
0: I think most of them are just idiots. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. There you go, there's another load
0: of trolling. (laughs) But but I think when you get some football fans, like for instance, if I owned Forest, I'd be phoning you up and say, Andy, let's get together, let's get some Forest fans, let's sit round a table, let's work together. And with sensible football fans, you can do that. But I've just found with football fans, especially our lot, various groups and Twitter pages, and they all want to be their own kings of their own little kingdom and they're full of their own self-importance. And, and I think that if you did that and engage more with them people, I, I, I yeah. just don't see as, as you can take it forward. I'm all for yeah. in, input from fans and sensible yeah. input and engagement with fans. And I, I do Definitely. tend to go down the Simon Jordan uh, route with, yeah. with that. Engage with them, be part of it, but like let us run the football club and you can support it. Please be vocal. Please tell us your opinions. We want to listen to them, however stupid some of them may be. We'll listen to you all. But, um, yeah, I think there's always got to be a little bit of, of an us and them, but working together.
1: Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Involved involving the community as well. Isn't it? 100%. So,
0: uh, yeah, I, you know, I think yeah. that football clubs are a massive part of the community. I think that you know, football clubs to a large degree, especially in these modern times, have, mm. uh, have forgotten what their community uh, looks like. But yeah. I think that football needs to involve itself with that grassroots with that fan base with that core yeah. support and and being compassing to all and sundry and work with all all fans but yeah a lot. If, but again a lot. as i say from from what i've experienced there are some mm. that I, I i certainly wouldn't be uh, engaging with because i think they're
1: idiots and that- Every club has them, every club has them, don't they, Paul? Well, yeah. this is the
0: problem. They, all the football clubs, my club is no different to any other football club. So if it's happening at Birmingham, it happens at Villa, it happens at Nottingham Forest yeah. and at Derby yeah. and that. So what you do is you just take the good ones and there are so many brilliant ones. And, and again, I know, and, and I think it's easily, or very easy to obtain the intelligent mm-hmm. input from fans it's not yeah. that difficult to discover who's the who's the decent ones and who's yeah. the ones that are just looking to um, whether it be feather their own nest or make a name for themselves, or I don't know yeah, what their exactly. agendas are, but there's lots of them with hidden agendas, and um, yeah, I think that's a bit of real
1: a bit football annoying. fans. that they'd see the they, obviously they, you know big, like, I'm a big Forest fan, kind of thing, but I love football in general. I've Absolutely. got you know Derby County are our big rivals, mm. and a bit like them going through their troubles now. I'm glad they've got an owner. I'm glad they're not going to go out of existence. That'd be yeah. awful, you know. Tell me, Duke, of course, yeah you know, about going out of existence. No one really, yeah, proper football fans don't want to see that. You want yeah, to play the likes of Derby County. I don't want to play them for a good few years. Yeah. Don't get me wrong, kind of thing. Because uh, unless they do get promoted to the Premier League, because hopefully we stay there now. Yeah. Uh, but you know what I mean, the principle of it. So uh, you're just, um, yeah, you're you football fans, aren't you? in general so
0: uh yeah keep your passion keep your robbery keep all that let's have your input but let's yeah. have you know sensible input and you know engage with sensible people
1: yeah Perfect. absolutely okay, there you go.
0: is there any more books sir that you would like to give a mention that, before we lock up
1: no that's me that's me so another great time hopefully that's provided some people ideas out there so uh, there's plenty more to come over the the next few months, and certainly that build-up to the World Cup. I know we touched, a few others, uh, touched on quite a few of them there, but there's some great material that's going to be coming out in the next few months. Hopefully, i give given a few ideas, and uh, yeah, happy reading everyone out there. So uh, there's certainly plenty to choose from.
0: Absolutely, and, and a lot uh, of a lot of happy reading around the pool with a few sherbets as well.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely, yes, absolutely. Well, it's good weather here as well, though, isn't it? If you're not going abroad, um, so. I'm sitting here and it's uh, nine o'clock and it's um, it's still red red up. It feels very warm outside.
0: Yeah, I'm so. just going to go out. I'm going to plant <laughs> a few plants, which is nice. Uh, yeah. We wouldn't be doing that back in October and November when we were doing our uh, football book yeah. corner. The uh, yeah. gardens are looking resplendent. and uh, Yeah, absolutely. And I think we're going to have a lot of double digits overnight and clear skies and, and 20 yeah. plus degrees. Touching up to uh, probably thirty for the next couple of weeks. So
1: happy yep. days,
0: and by that time, I'm off to Turkey as well. So yeah,
1: nice. Oh, fabulous. it. You know, are
0: you uh, you off anywhere this summer?
1: Uh, not this summer, but that's because I've we're saving up a little bit. Well, I'm off to Vegas, Las oh, Vegas. Lovely. Yeah, in October. So You're taking yeah, taking a we're wife going... with you. Yeah, yes, oh, nice. we are. Yeah, <laughs> we're going uh Fall for it. So we're it's um it's our tenth anniversary this year. So uh, happy we've gone all out thank you very much and uh, it's a big one for my wife's birthday next year as well so we've tied it in to do it this year so to go to the great Lights of Vegas so yeah can't wait for that that's not till October, but uh, even then, in the desert of Vegas, I think cool. you're still going to be red hot.
0: Yeah, it will be. <laughs> G- July. I've, I've had a couple of weddings in July in the past, so yeah. I, yeah. I like. I, I like to get rid of July, and move into August. Bad memories. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so happy Good tenth
0: uh, anniversary, mate. Thank you. We uh, we will reconvene in uh, probably four to six weeks, guys. Yeah. That's four two six, not forty six for part nine. <laughs> Of uh, Football book Corner. So happy Excellent. reading, keep reading, and I think that we've given people a lot of information for books to read while they're on holidays. We're hoping that the aeroplanes will take us, of course, because there's yeah. been a lot of cancellations, but uh, happy holidays and happy reading. See you
1: yep, soon. Yep, happy. happy reading, all. Take care, all the best, Paul.
0: Cheers, Belton. Yeah. Thanks Check for you listening. Bye bye.
1: Bye bye. Bye Bye-bye. bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.
0: Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye bye.